Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, April 10th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Konnichiwa. And Miss Stephanie Cook. It's almost like I'm back to being a regular. Almost. <laughs> Don't get too ahead of yourself, all right? <laughs> Don't get too big for your own britches. Oh. oh. Left it Eat your ginger molasses cookie. <laughs> yeah. I shall. They're so good. So yes, Stephanie, tell us about your wonderful cookie that you partook in right before we started recording. Well, it was delicious and cookie-like. Mm-hmm. Um, it tasted like ginger and molasses because it's a ginger molasses cookie. And where is it from? Tim Hortons. So Tim it- Hortons, you guys. Tim Hortons. It's right across the street from me. It's so convenient <laughs> and delicious. So it's a callback to last week's podcast. It's in yeah. continuity. Yeah, of the basically podcast. Tim Hortons should pay me for like you know, all their free advertising they get from me. And just to be clear, Tim Hortons is across the street from everyone in Canada. <laughs> yeah. They're everywhere. <laughs> it's true. Um, very, very true. We did get a, a, a tweet from someone, I don't remember where it was from in, right now, saying that they didn't have 7-Elevens where they were. So I saw yeah, that. At, Atlanta? Maybe they can I have a Atlanta. Atlanta? Was, okay, yeah. yeah. I knew it was somewhere in the south. And as Steve and I were wandering around the city with Melissa, we I actually found a 7-Eleven in the middle of Manhattan, which I didn't think there was one. And there yeah. was one sitting there on yep. Broadway in Union Square. And yeah. the moment that you brought it up on the train, somebody came through the train car with a 7-Eleven yeah. coffee. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> Not good. It was meant to be. And I'm so jealous yeah. you guys got to hang out with Melissa. Oh, that's right. Yep. I did not, but guys, Bob, Steve, how was meeting our wonderful contributor, she's Melissa? Terrible. She's terrible. She's horrible. She seems like a horrible person. She, she smells too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, no, Melissa Megan. She smelled like. Did she smell like baby vomit? No, she didn't smell no. like baby vomit. I think she might have actually showered before she got together with us. I don't know. Oh well, that's good. Uh, yeah. Um, no, she was wonderful. We uh, we met out in uh, New York City. Right in front of the Daily Bugle building. Yeah, right in front of the Daily Bugle building, uh, outside the Flatiron. And uh, we just gallivanted around the city all day. And we went to a couple of, We went to several comic and bookstores. Went to Forbidden Planet. Nice. Uh, we went to Strands. Mm-hmm. Where else eight, did we go? Eight miles of books. Yeah. Yep. You guys uh, were obviously in Union Square. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Halloween Adventure, which is a block-wide... Mm-hmm. Halloween costume store with all sorts of mm-hmm. goofy oddball things where there are many pictures of. Yeah. Yes. They're interesting goth place next door, Toy Tokyo. Yeah, mm-hmm. we went to Toy Tokyo. We went to Obscura uh, inside the city. Uh, I could have bought some fingers, but I didn't. I left those yeah. behind. I you buy finger bones up. and shrunken heads inside of snow globes <laughs> and interesting. old like child prosthetic limbs and huh. old yeah. medicine, old enemas and laxatives. It was awesome. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, sounds, that sounds like a day I'm sorry I Guess missed. who picked it? Yeah. No, it was awesome. Uh, what I found really fascinating with Melissa, you know, we read these reviews and she loves horror and we, she talks about it and she's bright and charming and funny and all the, you know, it, it is not what you'd anticipate mm-hmm. if you read a review. It's just an absolutely lovely woman. She's not Lydia Dietz, which is what I <laughs> called you, her yeah. earlier in the day. Um, no, we well, had when a, she tweeted you, well, I'll be wearing black. Yeah, like yeah. four million other New Yorkers. Yeah, I have red hair and I'll be wearing black. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Uh, it was a great day. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we met up with her husband uh, a little bit later on at the Beer Authority, which is where we were mm-hmm. after Comic-Con last year. Oh, I went there. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it just in general, it was just a really, really awesome day. Lots of exercise and lots of laughs and lots of beer. Mm. So, mm. hooray. Nice picture of, what was that, Hogarden you bought? Yeah, Hogarden. Was, it was good. It's good beer. On tap. It's good beer. Yum. We're yeah. drinking a beer right now. We are drinking a beer right now. We are drinking Dogfish Head Noble Rot. And if you're wondering what kind of Dogfish Head, it's a specialty that is ale brewed with grape must, musk. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, it says must. It is must. Must. With grape must added. So Ooh. it's lots of grape must. Gotta love that grape must. Can I just note that, you know, for all the guff you guys give me about drinking, I'm the one with a tea right now. Yeah, have a cookie. Have We're having tea. one half a oh, mug of yes, beer. Just one. Just yes, we are drinking yourself. out of mugs. We are flowery <laughs> mugs that my yes. mother gave me. And next you'll be brown bagging it on the subway. No, yes. we actually talked about that too. I've done that before. On the way home. Done that before. It's it's fun. Going but to the Ranger game. <laughs> yeah. Gonna hide my beer. <laughs> the the worst train in the world to take home um from from uh New York to Long Island where we live is the train after a Rangers game. It's I like the, the worst thing in the entire Steve. world. Yep. Ugh. Hockey. <laughs> Whether you win or lose, it's awful. Right. Yeah. So drink and celebrate or drink and drown your sorrows. Yeah, that's a little peek into our lives the last couple of days. Um, we have a lot of stuff to get through today. Um, obviously, we're going to be doing our books of the week uh, for our topic. Uh, a lot of big uh, losses uh, this past week. Um, most notably, uh, you know, for me, Roger Ebert and Carmen Infantino passed away. And we're going to mm-hmm. we're using that as a, a way to both remember them and talk about the people who inspire us and uh you know, uh, the people the people that kind of drove us to be who we are now in in, in all realms, you know, in comic books, movies, personal, whatever. So uh, it will be a, 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 a fun, interesting conversation to have uh, with each other. Um, but before we get to any of that, a lot of news uh, this week in the comic book world. And uh, for once, something happened uh, on a Tuesday before we recorded. So we didn't have to wait a yeah. week to talk about this. Um, a few weeks back, uh, the Joe Casey book, uh, image book, Sex. Uh, hello? Hello, Stephanie? I think we lost Stephanie. Hello? 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 Can you hear us? I can hear you. I don't know what happened. Sorry. That's okay. No. Don't worry about it. We, we, it was a, as our technical snafus go, it was pretty limited. <laughs> the, the world didn't <laughs> think- explode. I think the cat might have accidentally knocked the... I think this was might have been my fault. I think the cat went after the router. Mm-hmm. The adventures of of recording with Stephanie. You were trying to think of her cat's name, and you don't know it. No, I wasn't trying to think of her cat's name. I don't know her cat's name. I do. <laughs> I know it, too. <laughs> Thank you. Very Firefly related. True. Sorry. It's all right. It's all right. Nathan. No. So back, yeah. on, <laughs> back on the horse. Um... Uh, a couple, like I was saying, a couple weeks ago, uh, the Joe Casey book, Sex, uh, 
got banned uh, from the Apple App Store on Comixology. You couldn't buy it there uh, for questionable content. Uh, it made a little bit of a wave, but it, not a book that is very much in the public consciousness. So I think it. we talked about it a little bit, but it kind of went under the radar. But uh, today it came out the same thing is going to be happening to Saga number 12 um, because of two basically thumb-sized panels of uh, fellatio being performed. Um, um, and let's say right now, male-on-male fellatio. Mm-hmm. It, it, so uh, there was a press release, uh, really, not really a press release, uh, but it's Brian K. Vaughn on his blog kind of sounded off about this. And I'm not going to read out the whole thing because uh, you guys should read it. Uh, we'll link to it. There's a story on our site right now. We'll link to it in, in the show notes as well. Um, basically he said, Fiona and I could always edit the images in question, but everything we put into the book is there to advance our story, not just to shock or titillate. So we're not changing shit. Um, (laughs) good for him. uh, He says, apologies to everyone who reads our series on iPads or iPhones, but here are your alternate alternatives for Wednesday. Head over to your friendly neighborhood comic shop and pick up a physical copy of our issue that you can have and hold forever. Uh, two, while you're at it, don't forget to support the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which helps protect retailers who are brave enough to carry work that some in their communities might consider offensive. You can find signed copies of Saga at the CBLDF site right now. Uh, download the issue directly through sites uh, like comics.imagecomics.com or on your non-Apple smartphone or tablet. Uh, if all else fails, you might be able to find Saga number 12 in Apple's iBookstore, which apparently sometimes allows more adult material to be sold through the, through, than through its apps. Uh, crazy, right? Um, and yet they publish Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you Nicely. can download it and then put it on your iOS device yeah, afterwards. That's the thing, too. A comic, if, if, if you're you know, a dedicated Comixology user and you want all your stuff in the same place, if you go on their website and buy it from there, you can sync any of the accounts linked. You can sync it right to your iPad without having to buy it through the store. And that's also a way, if you feel... If you want to protest this kind of action, but obviously you don't want to stop buying comics and stop putting money in the hands of the people who are selling those comics, if you do it that way, which admittedly is less convenient than just hitting button, button, button on the day the books come out, all the money goes to Comixology, none of it goes to Apple, and you can still oh. read it on your device. Um, now, it's it's important to say that this sort of thing goes for everything with them. Offensive, mat- what they deem offensive material is not allowed to be sold through their app store in this way on any app for anything, whether it's a game or a you know or this, because there's no way for them to you know um, stop someone who's a kid from downloading it because they can't mm-hmm. tell. You know, if they have their parents' password, there's something they can do. Uh, so the thing uh, is, oh, go no, Stephanie, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, as far as like offensive material goes, like I think the big question here is whether it's because it's gay content, because mm-hmm. I think, I mean, the opening page uh, of issue 11, and this is without spoilers if you haven't got that far, but mm-hmm. it's the very first panel is like Alana and Marco having sex, like mm-hmm. naked, full on sex. And right. it's. Like, why would you ban 12 but not 11? Mm-hmm. I, it took me four times to go through Saga 12 to even notice. And I had to be, like, looking for it. And then I had to look at an article that wrote up about this whole fiasco. And then I was like, what? Really? And I had to go find that specific thing and be like, oh, I didn't even see that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's in a it's view screen. It's significant. Yeah. yeah. And... and- 
I think that that is obviously the big question and whether or not it's the orientation of the sexual act going on. Uh, why it's been banned. I mean, sex was banned, and I don't believe it was homosexual sex. I didn't read the book. No, it wasn't. So, you know, if it was no- extremely graphic, though. Right. If they're nothing but not consistent, however, uh, I think this raises an issue uh, about services like this, and, it, and this is an issue that we're dealing with anew in this society because, you know, there are, people have been banning things forever, but this is one of these things where there's two separate masters for these really three separate masters for these companies to go through. Now, the fact that comiXology will probably be out of money as a company because of something Apple is doing, it, it, it opens up. There needs to be some sort of parameters involved where you, maybe you have to verify your age. That's not a problem. Like you got to figure out something screen, to do. Not hard. Yeah. Do something to be, so you can verify your age before you buy something like this because it seems ludicrous to me that this device that I have where I can literally go on the internet and watch porn if I wanted to, mm-hmm. you, oh, yeah. you know, uh, I can't download a comic book, which is a piece of art and a piece of fiction. You know, there are R rated movies on, on the iTunes store. The fact that you can probably get it to the iBook store is a little bit suspect as well. And I know they have a more of a direct curation of that stuff. And that's probably why. Uh, but, but still it, it seems a little shady to me. Uh, well, it's ridiculous that they have a filter for not letting me like download something yes. that was released exclusively in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But I, someone who is like 13, can pick up like an X-rated whatever. Yeah. Like anywhere. Yeah. That's ridiculous. You yeah. have a filter for that, but like for country restrictions, but not for age stuff. Yeah. That's stupid, Apple. Yeah, and it it sheds like you know it's just bad practices in a lot of ways. I mean, we've talked many times about our feelings about you know gay rights and stuff, and I don't think I don't think this is much an issue about that as it's just issue with the prudeness that we talked about a few weeks ago when we got this question from a listener. I mean, Steve, what do, what do you think? I think it's ridiculous that things like this are still happening. Yeah, um, I think it's a very even though I know that not selling one comic book, whether it's Saga or even if it was Batman or something, mm-hmm. isn't going to hurt Apple. It's not going to hurt the Apple store. They get plenty of money from everyone else. Um, it sends a message to their customers, to the public, and to people that buy, you know, a, just, it's a company. You don't really, there's a lot of people working within it. You probably have some homosexual employees, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And for something like this to happen, it's almost as if they've they've taken a stance on this kind of material being out there for people mm-hmm. without you know just by this yeah. by this gesture and this thing that they're doing by taking this out like they know how sensitive people are especially right now mm-hmm. with all this you know marriage equality and things going on right now that you go ahead and you ban a book that has two like postage stamp sized uh drawings of male on male fellatio i mean get over yourself give me a break i i understand yeah. I, not wanting it to you know fall into the wrong hands mm-hmm. but in a way that should be the you know under the advisory of the customer not the distribution right. yeah absolutely yeah, so that gets to the technical can you filter that can you screen that i al- i'm also sure that they had no trouble with Catwoman 1, mm-hmm. with her mostly naked stride Batman, right. or this Miss Fury with that panel, right. and they're but selling th- this that. Is, this is like, I mean, my problem, with the, my biggest problem with it is that they've sold every other issue of Saga yeah. from issue number one. Yeah. They've made tons and tons and tons of money with it. Mm-hmm. 
they've you know more than gotten back for supporting this book mm-hmm. then something like this comes along and they pull it for an issue and then they're going to come back and they're going to sell it again mm-hmm. with issue number 13 and there's going to be this gap on the page when you go to look and say like well what the fuck why yeah. can't i and then you have to go and you have to look up the news story and see this ridiculousness mm-hmm. and it just it just feeds into this mentality that it's like a taboo you know like you can't you got to keep it away from everybody. That's the kind of attitude that we need to get away from. Mm-hmm. And they're just they're just feeding into it. And I, yeah. I think it's really unfortunate. It is. It absolutely. Is. Oh. Stephanie, you're going to say something. Yeah, sorry. My internet keeps kind of cutting in and out here right now. But um, I'll try and get my point across before it dies on me again. Um, somebody pointed out on the internet, I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but that it seemed more like it was just incompetence as opposed to malice. Um, yeah, yes. it might have been. It just might have been somebody who was new to the censorship department for like Apple or whatever. However, they do this, who might have just been like flagging absolutely everything, and they might revoke it. Who knows? But I mean, like, it doesn't seem like it's a malicious thing. It just seems like it was just well, this happened, and I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't think it was Apple's intent to make such a big, to stir the pot like this. Mm-mm. Um just so happens that obviously they have yeah yeah yes absolutely i'm sure they didn't intend it but they're stuck now yeah they are and we'll have to see how it resolves itself it's and we won't know with the the ending to the story (sighs) until we see what happens but i don't i agree with you stephanie i think it's more kind of boneheadedness than it is malice i just want to say one more thing yeah are we are, are we not getting tired of people doing these things, getting slapped on the wrist by like the public outcry of what they're doing, and then them being able to just retract it and just be like, oh no, we're not going to do it now. Well, I mean, but that's the power of the public. I mean, people are going to make yeah, no, that part of it's awesome. Yeah, but on the part of of the company that they get to just you know, oh you know, we, we didn't realize that you were going to be so upset by this really poor decision. Right. I mean, I think something like this. Honestly, you know, we're talking about this this way. There are probably a lot of people who are applauding Apple for doing this. I'm sure they're out there. You know, and they're I, probably not reading Saga though. No, they're probably definitely yeah. not reading Saga because the people are reading Saga from the page one of that book. You know, it's a book that you're dealing with. You know, there's been giant like troll schlongs and stuff <laughs> in, in the troll scrotum. Yeah, in, in the book. Um, and we talk about this too. I don't want to you know keep harping on this, but there's plenty of books with horrible, horrific violence. That including get, including this one, two yeah, exactly. pages in, a guy's head explodes in a corona of blood and brain matter. Yeah, so <laughs> but that would have been fine. Yeah, so that that I think is is more like the societal issue. You know, when it comes to decisions like this, I have no problem with companies being like, "Whoops, we made a mistake. Let's not do it." You know, it, it's more the creative stuff that I have a problem with that happens because that's just lack of conviction. Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. You know, like to Steve's point some people genuinely do make mistakes mm-hmm. and it's not one of those things I think where we can be like, what are we not going to stand for this anymore? People make mistakes yeah. and you know, like it's not fair to be like, we are condemning Apple for this thing. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many other things going for these companies that we condemn over something like this. Yeah. So I think it's also important to remember that they bring us like a lot of great services. And when, you know, they fuck up, we need to remember those things too that they do for us and the things that they bring us and the technology that we get every day that we wouldn't have otherwise. 
So we need to also keep that in mind when we're condemning this company for one thing that we don't like right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, believe me, there is much worse things to mm. condemn Apple over than this. You know, if you were going to condemn them, there's all this stuff with the sweatshops and stuff like that. You know, those are much more serious <laughs> things that we do not talk about on a show like this because I do you not know, know enough about sweatshops. them. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, the, the so Foxconn stuff. Uh, I, I don't want to bring that stuff up because I don't know enough about it to talk about it with any sort of uh, knowledge. But Oh, no, me neither. Yeah, you but don't I want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. lose our shit over Apple. I mean, yeah, it sucks. But at the same yeah. time, we need to also remember that usually they're pretty okay. And the same thing, just vote with your dollar. Don't buy it. Don't buy comics from them anymore. If you have a problem yeah. with this policy they have, don't buy comics. Don't Make sure they don't get any money for your comic purchases. And we've said many ways that you can get around doing mm. that. Um, and you also have to keep in mind that comics for them is still a pretty new thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, I buy my stuff through Comixology. I do what, you know, the I buy everything through my computer and then I sync it afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just do that. It's really not hard. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would like to see the list of what did get pulled, what what other yeah. things they censored and why to try to make a, a real determination of. Yeah. I wonder if that intent. list is out there. I definitely I want to see that, too. That's a really good point. Um. Moving on uh, to less serious news, um, the uh, March 2013 comic book sales figures uh, came out, and the number one comic is a bit of a surprise. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number one is number one at 211,000 units sold. Um, That's really impressive. Yeah. I mean... Bobby, yep. you have the most history with this stuff. Guardians the, of the Galaxy, they're not selling these numbers, right? No, not ever. Now, granted, you've got a superstar creator on this book yeah. in, 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 in Brian Michael Bendis. That's 100,000 past the Avengers. Yeah. It's 30 or 40,000 past a good issue of Batman. Yeah. Um, is it movie people getting there early? Is it people mm -hmm. juiced about that movie? Their characters, no, nobody knows. They haven't been around yeah. in 10 years. Well, Marvel's... They were right in picking this movie, I guess, to do. People are jazzed about this, and wow. Yeah. Some of them stick around. Yeah. Well, you know, I, was, I was saying this to you off air, Bob, but I, we, we always talk about this, do people who watch these movies or get excited for these movies buy the books? Uh, and I'm still not sure if they do or not, but people who read comics certainly get excited about books when there's a movie coming out. You know, I mean, I would never have cared about Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, if Brian Michael Benison, I might have checked it out, but I would not have been as hyped about it as mm -hmm. I was, you know, and the, it, it made it a must-buy book for me because all this hype has already started coming down the road for this movie coming out in a, a little over a year. So I think that's pretty amazing. Um, it and could also a, be... Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. Oops, sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> it could also be the fact that, I mean, for me, it's just like you're seeing a book on Marvel's shelves and you're being like holy Christ, it's not an X-Men or Avengers book. <laughs> That's what I was going like, to say. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it's something different and there's new people that you can get to learn about. Um, I mean, they're not new, but they're new to me. Mm -hmm. And in wake of all the zillions of freaking books that they put out that are so similar, it's nice to see something refreshing and just different on the shelves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Steve? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with Stephanie. And I also agree that I just... It's people, I think, are ready for something new mm. that they they know Captain America now. They know Iron Man. They're still looking forward to the new movies and they're still looking forward to more adventures with those characters. But I think a lot more people are open up, op opening up to finding out like what's going to go on next, that mm -hmm. they've heard it through the grapevine that this movie's happening. Now they're doing casting choices and you're hearing more stuff that 
people perhaps saw how much they liked the Avengers and now they do want to get in on the ground floor Mm -hmm. because they don't want to go in blind like they did last time and have to learn everything about these characters through the silver screen. They want to have, you know, a bit of context. And it's pretty awesome to see, you know, characters that you like. Like if you end up, I'm loving uh, Gamora and Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. They're great in, in the new Bendis book. And I like, I can't wait to see them on the screen and see what they do with this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. It was a great move for Marvel to not release this sooner and to like revamp. I'm sure it was intentional, Mm -hmm. but it was just a really great move because, you know, there's not too much press about the movie yet. But I mean, even when there is stuff coming out about it, the issues won't be, you know, so far along that people can't just go to their store and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, where can I pick this up? Yeah. And be able to jump on and find out what this is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little, a little off track. Speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, though, it, uh, I don't know if it's officially confirmed yet, but Zoe Saldana, uh, obviously from Star, you played Uhura in Star Trek, is said to be playing Gamora in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which is a pretty awesome bit of casting. Mm. But I don't yes. say so myself. Um, number two, and Brian Michael Bendis dominating the, the top two uh, was Age of Ultron number one at one hundred and seventy four thousand, almost one hundred seventy five thousand. But that's what we were saying too. Another Bendis book, huge high profile book, huh? comes in for you know forty thousand right, less 40, than Guardians of the Galaxy. 100. Yeah, which is pretty impressive. Um, number three, Batman as solid as ever, one hundred and thirty seven thousand. Uh, number four, Wolverine, number one, at 137,000. Wow. Mm. Uh, number five is Age of Ultron, number two, at 109,000. Uh, number six, Justice League, number 18, at 102,000. Um, and then at number eight, sorry, yeah, no, it's uh, number eight, Superior Spider-Man, um, number five, at 94,000 copies. Uh, number nine, Justice League of America, 91,000. And rounding out the top 10, all new X-Men, number eight, at 90,000. And then, I mean, you have... This next set, I think, is dominated by a lot of Marvel books. Both the Age of Ultron tie-in and the main Superior Spider-Man, both around 86,000 copies sold. More Uncanny X-Men, Uncanny Avengers, Avengers, all-new X-Men, Avengers, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Detective Comics. What were you saying, Stephanie? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Green Lantern at number 19, and number 20, closing out, Batman and Robin. Um, And the, the first indie book to show up is actually number 21, which is Walking Dead, number 108. Uh, which is not a surprise at all. Mm. Um, and, you know, you still have books like Batgirls in the top 30, holding strong around 51,000. Uh, Thor God of Thunder is at 50,000. Then we got Saga. Saga number 11 sold 50,000 copies. That's incredible. Um, you know, that book is kicking ass. East of West, 49,000 copies. Wow. So you're looking at pretty big numbers for, you know, th- these these smaller books, um, which, which is which is pretty amazing stuff. Um my Little Pony Friendship is Magic, number four, 41,000. <laughs> Yay. Um, you know, these are the, wow. these, a, lot of, a lot of indie books uh, selling a, a good amount of copies, which, which is really, really cool. Now, you were saying earlier the uh, monthly sales number is way up over oh, yeah, years yeah. and years and years. Now, do you think it's these indie books now? We're starting to drive some big numbers on some of these. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's obviously a collection. I want to, like, you know, obviously the numbers are always, the, the money numbers are always going to be bigger because books cost more money now. Uh, but um, the unit sold 7.2 million copies of comics sold in March 2013 versus a year ago uh, at it's over 20% larger number than a year ago, 18% bigger than five years ago, 30% bigger than 10 years ago, and about 1% bigger than 15 
uh, years ago. So, you know, you're looking at good growth uh, for the industry. I, I think it's allowed to do a lot of things. Like, let do we, DC is still doing well. Marvel did their re, their sort of soft relaunch, so they're packing in a lot of numbers. And these indie books, like you said, are, are you know, fit, you know, sixty thousand Walking Dead, fifty thousand Saga, almost fifty thousand for East of West. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a big chunk of change uh, for Image. You know, alone yeah. right there. And then IDW obviously making uh, waves and coming up the charts pretty fast uh, as compared to some other things. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's really, really great to, to see. Um, I was looking at, I, I don't have it right now, There's I was looking at the market shares and um, Marvel this month handily beat DC. Oh, here it is. Um, as far as... Uh, here, whoa, whoa, that's not the numbers. Here they are. Here they are. Uh, Marvel's dollar share was at forty percent, which does not impress me as much because their books are all almost all right. four dollars compared to DC's three dollars. But their unit share was forty three point seven eight percent of the market. Uh, DC's was twenty nine point eight eight percent. Image at seven point eight eight percent. IDW is five point two four percent of the market. Dark Horse at Dark Horse at four percent. And then after that, uh, Dynamite and Boom don't even have two percent. And then it falls pretty far, you know, after that, obviously, to below percentage uh, markers. Mm. Uh, very interesting. And the uh, oh, the graphic novels, too. Batman, b- the top two are both the first two parts of the Court of Owls uh, storyline. Uh, number three, Hawkeye, uh, My Life as a Weapon Now, um, is number three. Uh, and then, of course, number five, Walking Dead, Volume 1, Days Gone By, That's is still amazing. the number five selling uh, trade paperback in the country. So... Every store I walk into, no matter what you're doing, everyone's got a pile of those trades yeah. on the counter. And every, one, every retailer says, and I sell that first one, I sell the second, third one. Every month, every week, they just... It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we, at the shop, when Rob opens those boxes, he must always has a couple Walking Dead trades in there. It's pretty impressive. Yep. I remember when I worked in retail, and this woman came in, it was like, I'm going to buy these. These are like the only thing that my son wants to read. I'm like, oh, how old is he? She's like nine and i'm like like rape and murder and people being beheaded she's like yeah well at least he's reading i'm like oh oh boy parenting yeah (laughs) and there's not much you can do when you're having worked in a video store for years when kids wanted an r-rated movie and you try to explain to the parent oh that's not appropriate Mm -hmm. well but i want him to see it well i my job here is done yeah you ruin your kid i'd be my guest (laughs) At least they're literate. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. That's yeah, true. they learned how to curse at an early literate age. Literate serial killers. <laughs> yeah. They're just reading those for the articles. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it all that stuff depends on the kid a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some nine-year-olds who are definitely able to handle and are definitely able to differentiate those two things. Yes. But, I definitely. mean, that that's not most nine-year-olds, but some definitely are. Definitely. Um, I agree. I'm just being like, it was just one of those... Really? No, I no, I agree yeah. with you. I mean, when I used to work at Best Buy and people would come in and buy Grand Theft Auto for like an eight-year-old, I'd be like, guys, mm. let's let's not be the new like the the thing that all like Fox News calls you all the time. You know, let's yeah. be a little more responsible. Um, it's not a car racing game. Yeah, no. Uh, let's move on to uh, some quick fun movie news. Um, Morris Chestnut, who uh, been around for a long time, but he most notably to comic book fans maybe. Uh, plays Nicholas Cage's partner in uh, Kick-Ass. Uh, he, the policeman. The policeman. He tweeted, uh, he's been a lot of stuff, but he, he tweeted the other day, it's time to get familiar with the Black Panther character. <gasps> Ooh. And then that tweet got taken down 
But then today again, um, or I, I don't know what it was today or yesterday, uh, he tweeted, not final, Black Panther may be in Avengers 2. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think of that, Bob? I love this idea. I, though, you know, that Wesley Snipes just got out of prison. I thought there was always a chance. But a <laughs> uh, little old, little long in the tooth. Black Panther is just one of the great Marvel characters from way back and getting better and better as we go along. I mm-hmm. mean, Jonathan Hickman's doing a great job with New Avengers. Ultra smart, great backstory, good set of powers because he does have some. Yeah. And depending on how you want to go with him, he's now the king of the dead, which is even better. <laughs> um, great. Just great. First of all, it's for diversity, it's wonderful. Yeah. You know, that we, we add that to it. But it's just a great character. Very mm-hmm. noble, very intelligent. Yeah. Great news. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I mean, any of this news that kind of sleeps out, it gets me excited about new characters being in the movie. Um, if only Denzel Washington was a little younger. <laughs> I think that guy, Chitwell, Chitwell, Eljofor, Chitwell? I can't say his name. Chitel Eljofor, I can never say his name. Oh, he, Chewy. Yeah. Uh, it's like Chewy Ejidafor. Yeah, yeah. I think he would be a perfect Black Panther. Mm. Um, he, I agree, actually. He would rock. Yeah. Uh, he's from Serenity. He is in Serenity. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was cool. Yeah, he's awesome. He has, his voice is like the voice I hear in my head when I read uh, Black Panther. Um, uh, I hear the Allstate guy. <laughs> oh, Dennis Haysbert? That's not bad either. Um, uh, You're in good hands with the Black Panther. <laughs> Speaking of Avengers 2 as well, we lose, we're losing Robert Downey Jr. That, that, was a, that, was, that was a April Fool's joke. Was it? Yeah. Thank God. Because <laughs> I was like, I didn't think that was on April because I avoided the internet that day. No, it was an April Fool's joke. Good. Yeah, it was oh, uh, saying God. that Rock Down Jr. wasn't in it anymore, and John Hamm was going to step in. Uh, oh, I didn't hear that part. Yeah, that was the story. I only saw like a thing about him stepping down about money and stuff. But like, I avoided the internet on April, so I don't even know how I managed to see that. Like well, on April first, it's still April. I'm not avoiding the internet, obviously. Still, <laughs> I saw people reposting that story days after, oh. though. So, damn you, people. <laughs> It was the same thing with me. I got fooled by the fake story on Bleeding Cool about uh, Matt Fraction possibly writing a new Inhuman series. Oh, oh. I fell for that too. Damn yeah, it. In the style of uh, like Game of Thrones. Uh, maybe they'll do it now. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know what the worst day of the year is? Fucking April Fool. Shit. Yeah. I told Bob about that when we were in the city. I was like totally straight-faced. Yeah. I'm like, they're going to do it, man. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not happy with that. But maybe, like we said, he'll... Maybe he'll get, he'll get the, the yeah, message. Yeah, yeah. Oh, should ban April Fool's Day. <laughs> and it, just like you, Seventy, I saw that story like a week after. You know, I saw yes. it like yesterday or something and got fooled by it because I just, I just saw it somewhere. I didn't realize it was an April Fool's joke. And then I saw at the bottom, it was like source AF. <laughs> yeah. Bastards indeed. Lame. Uh, um, the other, this isn't uh, even more rumor than the, uh, the more chestnut stuff. Uh, the Evil Dead dire- uh, director, uh, Fetty Alvarez, uh, maybe it's rumored that they're, they're Marvel's looking at them to do one of their movies, do a Marvel movie, and the all point signs point to people thinking it would be a Doctor Strange uh, movie. So, I mean, I haven't seen the new Evil Dead movie, um, so I, I can't speak to quality, but it's nice to be hearing about these rumblings of directors mm-hmm. uh, at this point. I think you said Walking Dead before. Uh, did I say Walking Dead? Maybe. Evil Dead. Evil Dead. The Evil yeah. Dead Yeah, he movie. said Evil Dead. Okay. Okay. I heard Walking Dead. <laughs> I got Walking Dead on the brain. Uh, speaking um, of directors, then, yeah, so yeah, I threw yeah. this in. I saw a little thing. I forget where it was. I actually 
I don't, doesn't matter where it was, uh, where Edgar Wright tweeted something out about uh, how he's shooting a scene for one of Marvel's summer movies for the year. No, he didn't say Marvel summer. He did a big summer a movie. A big summer movie. He shot one shot for a big summer movie, and people started guessing. He did say on Twitter, I can officially say that it's not Iron Man 3. Well, he said uh, one person guessed it, but he won't say who it is. Yeah, Too so, bad. Yeah. So we don't, we don't know. There, there's also a rumor that maybe he's not talking about uh, a movie that's coming out this summer, but a movie that's being shot this summer, then it could be Thor. Um, but we'll see. I mean, we, again, we're all... That he's doing what, sorry? He shot basically one scene uh, for a, a, a big movie this summer. Oh, okay. okay. And it's not his movie. It's um, not The World's End. I also we're saw assuming. a stilled yeah. image uh, for Ant-Man, uh, yeah. possible Ant-Man. Was yeah. that real? Yeah, that's real. That's Yay! from... The, that's from like, <laughs> no, that everything was awesome. is a lie. Yeah, everything <laughs> is a lie. The internet. That's from that... Uh, presentation they gave at comic-con last year where they sh- that was, showed that test footage sweet. yeah the, like the metal yeah thing it looks like ant-man just a little bit more technological i guess um i liked it i can't wait to see that footage i mean that that movie is gonna i'm gonna be so excited for that movie when, it, when eventually we start seeing stuff from it, it every time it shows up it's gone in about 10 seconds yeah yeah they did put it up uh last uh, two weeks ago or something but it was gone Im- immediately um uh really quick and this isn't so much news uh because it's on the cover but uh this week uh, in, in Batman and Red Robin, uh, Carrie Kelly is being brought into the DC Universe. Those who don't know, Carrie Kelly is the Robin from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. She's when it not- sort of caused her play into, cosplayed her way into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you. Um, this is the first time she's ever appeared, uh, I believe, in DC continuity and real continuity. Um, and, you know, this is just what Pete Tomasi said. He, he said, uh, what you'll... F- this is a New York Post, which breaking Robin news every yeah. every couple of weeks. Uh, what you'll find out once you crack the book is that she's not exactly the new Robin. But I don't want to spoil the story and her introduction into Bruce Wayne Batman's life in regards to how long she'll be around. Let's just say that's a hell of a lot longer than one issue. Um, I've got plans for Carrie that will play out into the future. Um, a little tidbit came out that she would she's going to have known Damien. The girl, Carrie Kelly will have known Damien, and that's kind of how she's going to be introduced into the uh, the world. She is in the Robin costume on the cover, but like Stephanie said, uh, you know, she's basically like a Halloween party or something. She's dressed in a costume. It's not, uh, it doesn't look like she's going to be Robin in this issue. But Bob, what do you think of bringing this character into the DCU? Well, it it worked when they brought Harley in. Right. You know, you can can make things work. I've heard another rumor that there is some hubbub around, I like that Mm old-fashioned word, uh, (laughs) that she'll be the new Oracle. Oh, really? Which I'm not so sure I like that. Is I'd rather have Barbara back as Oracle right, and have, yeah. have Carrie be Batgirl, but that's yeah. just me. <laughs> um, you know, we always thought it was going to be Harper. Harper. Yeah. So uh, if it's well written, yeah, it's a great character. How attached we are to Dark Knight is going to mm-hmm. then affect how we're going to be attached to her here. What does she get to do here? Yeah. If it starts to diverge from what we're expecting, mm-hmm. could be good. Could be. Terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Pete Tomasi's Batman and Robin run, so in that way, I'm excited for whatever he's going to do. But as a big fan of The Dark Knight Returns, my my initial kind of knee jerk reaction is one of like, what, you know, don't don't do this, because you know that book, even though not in continuity, technically is like a future story of Batman. Yeah. And once you bring this character into the main continuity, when he's technically the youngest he's ever been basically in the history of, you know, the regular continuity of DC, it feels like it, 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 it kind of skews that book in a way for, for me reading it. 
Um, but like you said, if it's a great story, that's all I really care about. And I hope they do a good job with her. Um, she could be the other Carrie's mom. Yeah, maybe. I am excited that it will if that if she is Robin, it will be a girl, and I think that's a cool way to go and a different way to go for, for the company. Um, Stephanie, what do you think about this? I'm pretty excited. I I could see this being really cool. Um, I didn't read 18 yet, so I don't really know what's going on with Harper. But is it possible that Harper will become Oracle then instead of yeah? I I think Mary it's, Kelly. I think it's very possible because what Scott Snyder has said in after kind of everything happened with Damien that he never intended Harper to be Robin and that she had another role to play in Batman's kind of family. I, say, I mean, she's already like the tech girl. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, with I, I don't think that she, you know, I think, yeah, I think she was always kind of in my mind, the next Robin, but it makes a lot of sense for me for her to be Oracle and then Carrie Kelly to, you know, possibly do something yeah. in the Robin world. Yeah. Uh, and I, I hope that they bring that same character model of Carrie from Dark Knight Returns because she's a, like Bob said, she's a great character in that book. And, and she, the, her sense of, um, you know, mission and wanting to, she has very kind of like a Tim Drake-ish story, even though she came before Tim Drake, yeah. but, you know, she just decides to be Robin, you know, you know and, and I like that kind of spirit in her. Um, Steve, you anything And she's not see? really conventional, like, she's just sort of, like, I don't know, she's not really pretty, she's not really, she's just kind of like tomboy and yeah. Yeah. just kind of totally involved in what's right. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, Steve. I didn't mean to cut you off. Right. Tomboy-ish. I like that. Literate. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, when um, when I saw this on the on the news on the internet news, I uh, I asked Bob about it when we were in the city and we were discussing it, and I had actually said, you know, that I felt like the whole time that they'd been trying to gear uh, Harper, even though I I would have been okay with her. Being a new Robin, I think it would have taken some more time Mm -hmm. to establish her before going that way. Um, I see her as much more of an Oracle character. Right. I just hope, personally, this is just me, that, and what, you know, what Tomasi had said, it kind of, you know, makes me calm down a little bit. But I hope that they don't replace Robin right away. Mm -hmm. I I really, I kind of want there to be... I, it's, it might sound silly, but like a like a mourning period. No, yeah, absolutely for the character. Yeah, like let's not just kill Damien and then well now carries your Robin and yeah. let's go and yeah, you know I'd like for them to kind of ease ease her into the role if that is the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would hate to think that it was just you know a, a replacement. Yeah, because it would that would to me that would cheapen. The the death. Yeah, I mean we're we, we're definitely we're definitely there's I think there's like five team up issues before whatever is gonna happen because right. there's Batman Red Robin, Batman and Nightwing, uh, Batman and Batgirl, and a couple others that we're gonna get before the book I think goes back to being called Batman and Robin. So probably like does. going into like going into the new year we'll probably have a new Robin. Probably. Yeah, pro- probably. Yeah. What that, is the Robin count in the new Fifty Two? By the way, do we have an idea? It's, it's five years in, and how many Robins is technically, he technically three? I think. That's not very good. Um, uh, the court should take away some of these kids. Yeah. T- technically, I think I believe it's Dick Grayson, um, Jason Todd, and Damien, the Robins, in the New 52 continuity. So It's like drummers in Spinal Tap. Yeah. He's lost a lot <laughs> in the condensed storyline. Uh, and really quick, just off of that, uh, they've announced what we all knew was going to happen. Uh, issue 13 is the last issue of Batman Incorporated. They're, when Morrison leaves, they're going to end uh, that book. Oh. But we all... 
kind of guessed that anyway um uh, since it's really kind of his baby um two really quick things uh dc uh, uh announced batman arkham origins the third in the arkham series of games it takes place before um arkham asylum on christmas eve where these villains come to try to kill batman uh, on christmas eve eight of them yes wow. It's Batman's first encounter with all these things. Uh, he's young. It's going to be, I think, much like what Scott Snyder's going to do in Zero Year, uh, a same type of situation. Uh, Rocksteady, the developer of the first two games, is not developing this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, EA Montreal, I believe, uh, Warner Brother- or Warner Brothers Montreal, I guess it is. Um, it's going to be developing it. Uh, Rocksteady, you know, is, is helping them, whatever. But I- I'm pretty sure Rocksteady is probably working on whatever the next generation. Batman Justice League game, whatever it's going to be. They better keep the fighting system. I think they will. No, that stuff is going to stay the same, but they, Good. I mean, they, they kind of announced, not announced, but it leaked out uh, a few months ago that Rocksteady was working on a kind of uh, Silver Age feeling Justice League game, like in the style mm. of like new, Darwin Cook's New Frontier. So huh. I'm pretty sure that's probably what they're doing, and this mm. is what, you know, they there's want to get their game out before the generation's over. Speaking of games, have you seen the Aquaman trailer for Injustice? Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> that trailer, I, re- I had no interest in playing that game. That trailer made me want to play that game. Yeah, the Aquaman the trailer. The demo out. Yeah, the demo is I know, out. but the demo ain't got no Aquaman. <laughs> Aquaman was awesome using his trident, his sharks yeah. and shit. It yeah. looked amazing. Yeah. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> he eats fish sticks, too, right? Yeah. I had fun uh, playing the demo. It, it's definitely, you know, it's very Mortal Kombat-ish, and, uh, but some cool movesets. Wonder Woman was a lot of fun uh, to play with. Cool. Um, I'm definitely looking forward. Do to we that. know when, it, when is it coming out? The 16th, so next week. Oh. My friend Amy's already obsessed with it. She's like, this game is so awesome. <laughs> she's like, I already pre-ordered it. She doesn't even like, she doesn't even really read comics, but she's like so into Injustice. Like, nice. crazy good, awesome. she says. Um, <laughs> and uh, last thing, uh, DC finally kind of unveiled what Trinity War is, which is a six-issue story told over the three Justice League titles, uh, Justice League, Justice League of America, and Justice League Dark. Uh, co-written by Jeff Lemire and Jeff Johns. Um, and what, <laughs> uh, what John said is, we really want to find and carve out the Justice League corner of the DC universe. It's a universe all itself with these three teams, and it feels big enough to be worthy of a Justice League story. Um, and they also said they're going to deal very much with personal stuff that they've seeded in their books. There's a Tana, Constantine stuff, and also the Superman and Wonder Woman stuff is going to be addressed a lot in, in, in this event coming up. Um, you know, we, there's nothing really to say about it yet. We don't know what it's going to be, but they've been talking about it for so long that it's nice to finally get some concrete details uh, about that. Um, so, uh, let's talk about some books. Oh. Let's talk about some books. books. Uh, Bob, I believe you're going to start out a little negative, so why don't, why don't we start no, with you? No, why would I do that? <laughs> anyway, as people know, I was really looking forward to, though a little hesitant, about Miss Fury from Dynamite. Um There aren't enough bad words for me to say about this book. (laughs) It is just an abomination at every single level. It's as if the people who uh, came up with this have never read an issue of Miss Fury ever. (laughs) Am I I reading this? Steve, uh, I'd like Steve to read this panel here. Um, uh, An executive in the Museum of Natural History walks up to Marla Drake and says... um, uh, Great man Reginald, talking about her father, very great, great man, very sadly missed... We were happy to enjoy his patronage here at the museum. Marla's response. This is 1943 Manhattan. 
He was a fucking asshole whose heart finally gave gave out 50 years after it had actually died. And then he <laughs> says... Uh, uh, well, yes, every family has its... Uh... <laughs> you came over here either because you're hoping I'll give you money to the museum like Daddy did, or because you're a lecherous old man and you'd like to screw me, right? No, that's enough. That's, that's all I enough. got. We get the flavor of that. All the um, skeevies. Yes. Uh, needlessly violent, uh, weirdly drawn at some level, if you really stop and look at it. Just uh, very, very disappointing, considering that over in Mass, which is so lovely, it is on my list of really good things for this week, <laughs> the attention to the detail of all these characters, whether it's been Zorro or the Green Hornet or the Shadow, has been spot on across the board by Chris Roberson. It's been a fun book all the way through. Each character has its little spotlight. In this case, we've gotten uh, the black bat has entered the fray over here. Uh, I don't know what Dynamite was thinking. I don't know. You know, <laughs> wrong team, wrong writer. Mm-hmm. Nice cover. The cover is beautiful. Uh, the yeah, the the art that scene you guys were reading, the the expression. There's no expressions on the faces. <laughs> She's just kind of staring forward with these dead looking eyes. Right. It's just a weird, a very poorly put together book. Yeah. Dead like the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. unfortunately, as I was saying before to, to everyone here, I've you know pre-ordered three of these already, <laughs> so I'm stuck because I'm not going to stick my store with them. Who's but... having a book burning? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one's going to get framed because it's such hey, a it's, lovely cover. The Alex it is supposed cover to get cold lovely. again. Maybe you could use it for kindling. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I could you know toast some s'mores up or something. <laughs> Uh, anyway, they so probably please, turned poisonous. Yeah, please avoid Miss Fury. At Bob really costs. didn't like Miss Fury number I one. I did not like Miss Fury. Um, uh, World's Finest number 11. Uh, what the fuck? Still, Sorry. Yeah, well, there, it is WTF. one of those. It is one of those, and it's useless <laughs> nothing, you know, looking at someone's smartphone or whatever mm-hmm. with the big reveal. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um Sadly, the story is still very good, but we have three artists on this book, and none of them oh, are wow. named McGuire and Perez. Oh, wow. Uh, and so the book really suffers as it changes gears all the way through it. And sadly, one of them is the, newer, uh, the new returning artist for the future, because I think Kevin McGuire has left as well. Yeah. Uh, it's... I won't, I won't mention names at this point. I'm not going to dislike mention, anybody. You can mention oh, okay. names. Okay, it's... it's uh, Nan's name is Robson Rocca, and it's just a little posy for my taste in a book that's been very respectful to the mm-hmm. female characters therein. Way too many shots of um, Tukas <laughs> being very Yiddish Bob for a moment. Bob does not like that. I do not. No, but it, it's just needless. It's not what should go there. He's like page 16 to 20 or something like that. Anywho, moving moving on again, uh, speaking of female characters, Red She-Hulk continues to get better and better, a book I had no interest in buying when I began mm-hmm. this whole process, but it's Jeff Parker, and he's got a great story to tell. She's found another entrance to the world computer, another visit to Mr. Tesla, who's still hanging around for some reason as the avatar of this machine, a new Mole Man character. He's the son of the Mole Man. He calls himself the Mole Monster. <laughs> who's running another underground civilization, and it's just, he's not happy with being invaded by the surface world, including the Red She-Hulk. And all she wants really is her big-ass sword back, frankly, is, and, and to save the little girl, Eleanor, who's the uh, online, on-Earth connection to the machine. So there's that. And then, 
going completely off the board here because I'm <laughs> that's that's me. Uh, April seventh was National Misfit Day, which is a character that Gail Simone created back in Birds of Prey, uh, in issue ninety six, some like six years ago, and so it's a. It's a double, triple tribute thing. It's not only a National Misfit Day. She wants to be Batgirl desperately. All of a sudden in the book, there are these stories about a new Batgirl flying around Gotham City. And this is after Stephanie. Stephanie Brown, that is. And <laughs> Though it could be after you too, yeah. Stephanie. And they eventually find their, you know, their bat, come back, the birds of prey come back from an adventure and start looking for uh, you know, what's gone on here. So actually send out, you know, a team to go look. And why is it double tribute? When they finally introduce her, they use a cover that's right from the original Detective Comics by Carmine Infantino that introduced Batgirl in the first place. So, and the other part of the tribute is Gail Simone's back on Batgirl mm -hmm. this week. And I actually marked the page when this character shows up screaming for dark vengeance. <laughs> She's this crazy character. Her name is, is Charlotte Gage Radcliffe. Uh, who just wants to be a superheroine. Eventually, they, they get in a big fight with her. They set up uh, Gypsy and one of the other characters to be decoys to draw her out. To, she stops a, a mugging. She beats the living snot out of Huntress and Black Canary. And she's wearing a homemade Batgirl outfit with a sweatshirt and a pair of jeans. Mm -hmm. And ends up she has superpowers. She can teleport everywhere. She has healing powers like Wolverine. And all she wants to do is be trained to be the next Batgirl. Well, a couple issues later, Barbara shows her why that's not such a great idea. When she shows her, you know, in that continuity, that Stephanie Brown had died mm -hmm. yeah. for doing this. Yeah. And so then she changes. She comes back an issue later. Well, I'm not going to be Batgirl. I'll be Misfit mm -hmm. <laughs> in the same kind of screwy outfit. So anyway, apparently all through Gail Simone's thing, her Tumblr on the Internet, People are doing fan fiction and pictures, so it was National Misfit Day, April 7th. So for those of us who remember, which is apparently me, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Book of the Week. A all whole bunch of Birds of Prey from 96 to 108 from six years ago. All that stuff is collected, right? No. Unfortunately, no? not enough of it. I mean, is, are these nope. issues collected? They're not. No. Okay. So 90, 96 to 108. Now, uh, Jamie McKelver, who did the book after, used her once or twice. Uh, she only shows up a little bit at the end. Uh, Gail Simone's last issue of this first volume was 108. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of where it ends. There's a big four-page spread of all the heroes back to try to help Barbara defeat a villain who's trying to take her down. Gotcha. Very cool. Awesome. Hmm. Uh, that's it. That's it for you, Bob? That's it. That's enough. <laughs> Stephanie, what do you got for us? Um... So I spent the last couple of days catching up on uh, Joe Hill's Lock and Key. Um, the Omega series, which is wrapping up. I was waiting for issue four for so long. And I was like, I'm just going to wait until the fifth one comes out and I'll just read it all. I cracked and I read them. And number four is so good. It's just leading up to the conclusion. And there's just so much stuff that keeps happening. And you just, number four, and I don't want to spoil it. I know Bob. Bobby, you're like a little bit behind I'm, on I'm it. I'm so volumes I, behind. So anything you I say promise, about it. I promise I won't yeah. say anything spoilery, but it's just one of those things where, and I, I guess you could probably imagine because the whole book has been sort of this, how are they going to get out of this mm -hmm. scenario? And the fourth book in Omega just 
throw so much at you. And it's just like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) It's so good. And I don't know. I think number four was like a couple months late or maybe they've spaced it out because, you know, they're trying to torture us. (laughs) And I don't know when the fifth is supposed to come out. I suppose I could probably look it up. But uh, I need it. Like tomorrow, <laughs> like now, like yesterday, because it's so great. And if you guys aren't reading Lock and Key yet, it's fantastic. Joe Hill, um, again, if you aren't familiar with him, he's Stephen King's son, uh, but completely different writing styles and just incredible. Um, Lock and Key is probably one of the or- only like horror books that I really read. And it's, you know one of my top books overall of all time. It's so great. Definitely check it out. That's my second pitch, I think, for Lock and Key. It so. is. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's amazing. So it, I it, think the last time I used the word sinister to describe it a lot. <laughs> no, I think that was Morning Glories. I think that's what what, what you used sinister oh, the most for. It might have been also Lock and Key because there was it's like a, week, there was, there was a couple weeks when that's like the only word I used. Yeah. Sinister, 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 lock and key, omega, sinister. It's like that scene in uh, Being John Malkovich, where he just says <laughs> his name over and over again. Um, but, yeah, is it's there so anything, good. Anything else you wanted to talk about, Stephanie? Um, I I picked up, let's see, what else did I read last week? Uh, the latest Age of Ultron, um, which I'm assuming you want to talk about. Oh, no, uh, you can bring it up. I wasn't going to talk about too much. Um the only thing I thought about it was very, uh, it's a lot of character stuff, very light on plot development. That's kind yeah, of where I got You know what? It. Like I said last week that it was picking up for me and I was starting to enjoy it. And this fourth issue for me kind of, it was like it went up and now it's just sunk back down for me. It's, I hope, I'm going to read it for, it's a mini series, yeah? It's 10 issues. 10 issues, yeah. And they're basically coming out every week. So it'll it'll be done. I th- I believe by June. I think is when it's supposed mm. to be over. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, like I'm tempted to just stick with it to see how it plays out, but I don't know. I need it to get to stay consistent. Mm-hmm. It just keeps on fluctuating so much that it, like, has my attention one minute, then completely loses it the next. So I mean, this issue was one of those ones where. It could go either way for me. Like I, if I didn't read the next issue, I would kind of just be fine with that. Gotcha. But yeah, yeah, they left you on a big cliffhanger last time, and then they kind of just kind of deal with it in sort of a nonchalant kind of way. And yeah, it, it feels the story feels like he wrote the story, and then like it was it, not arbitrarily, but definitely he wrote the story, and then they were like, okay. Issue, issue, issue. That's what it feels Ooh. like to me. You know, you know. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like because it's coming out so quickly, and because it's only ten issues, that you know, it was basically like we. I have this whole story I want to tell. How should we separate it, and how can we make it? You know, you know. That's what it feels like to me, because they don't always feel like. Uh, let's not feel like I'm reading a chapter out of a book instead of reading an issue of a comic book. That's what it feels like sometimes to me. Um, yeah. It. Yeah. It definitely. Um. I don't know. The art was pretty good. There was a couple scenes, though. I I won't spoil anything, but there was one scene with Red Hulk, mm-hmm. and I still don't know what happened. Yeah, really. it's, like, it, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it's it's it's. An, it, I only know because I heard somebody else talking about it. But it's okay. a really confusing panel structure. Some of the art 
Brian Hitch's art is sometimes gorgeous, and then other times it, it feels like he rushed through panels and pages. Like, I looked at it, and I'm trying to look at the panels before and after it to see what it is that I'm missing, but for the life of me, I cannot figure out. I'm like, well, that looks like his pants. Yeah. <laughs> that looks like intestine. Yeah. Like that. And that look, wait, is that his, who was that? What? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's bad visual storytelling mm. in that, I have in that section no of the book. No idea what's going on in it, like whatsoever. But I mean, aside from that, the art's pretty good. Yeah, it's just the story that's kind of hit and miss right now. Absolutely. I would personally, and this is like Hickman's thing. I would wait until it's in trade. I think. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Um, the only other thing I think notable that I've been kind of reading, um. Was I picked up the first issue of Thanos Rising as well. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I was kind of intrigued about this. I mean, obviously, there's the scene after the Avengers with Thanos. And it right. kind of, people, a lot of people were like, who's that? I don't get it. Right, yeah. And so, Marvel's been kind of working on something to introduce Thanos into the world for people who aren't familiar with him. Mm-hmm. And I guess this was their, you know their intro to that and I picked it up and Jason Aaron, right? Yeah. Jason Aaron. It's pretty good. I, I don't know. It's not great yet, but I think it has potential. Yeah. I I feel exactly the same way about it. My problem with with it is, and I'm going to, I'm going to compare it to the Rob Zombie Halloween in some ways. Look, sometimes a bad guy can just be a bad guy because he's a bad guy. Like I don't want him to just be a bad guy because, Oh, Kids were mean to him, so he decided to be. He tried to, you know, destroy the galaxy. You know, th- th- that simplicity of, of why he becomes who he is. That part I don't love. You know, once the book gets going and you get kind of into the more the seedier nature of it, and and the, you know, the the backhandedness and kind of the the plot to make him who he is. That I really enjoyed. It was the beginning stuff though that really hung me up. Yeah, but I mean, I I read it right before I came over here. Yeah. Um, it's funny when I was reading it, I had you in mind because I saw that it was maybe going in that direction. Mm-hmm. But then a page into him being, you know, this is not spoiler territory. He goes to school. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's spoilers. It's yeah, spoilers. <laughs> it's Thanos as you know, we get to see literally, you know, how Thanos came to be from the start. Yeah. So you're gonna see him go through school. You'll see him be born, blah, blah, mm. blah. But yeah, whether he picks Betty or Veronica. Yeah. But the kids, <laughs> rather than make fun of him and shun him throughout the entire book and him just being like, I'm going to get you all yeah, one day. Yeah, yeah. Like, they actually took on a different approach and they attempted to welcome him into their playtime and their fun. Mm-hmm. And he took to it. Yeah. So in that regard, it I was relieved as as all hell because I that was the same way. I, I did not want to read another book where it's just Thanos, you know, his pants get pulled down yeah. in, in uh, the playground and that's that. Yeah. Um, but the the last the final page was interesting. That's really just this one person mm-hmm. who kind of knows his destiny and is um, kind of strategically placing him in situations to become what he's destined to be. Yeah. And I, I liked the art as well. Sometimes, other times, I, it was a little bit weird to me. Like, the the character depictions of the small Thanos, I feel like his size fluctuated, like, yeah. wildly. You know, how tall he was, and that was a little confusing to me. And, and I, Not great. Sorry. And sorry. there's, like, one panel, or there's one page that 
makes no sense. Again, like um, Age of Ultron, it just was so out of place. And like I went back and forth between the two pages. Yeah. And it's just like, what? <laughs> this makes no sense. What happened for this to get to here? Yeah. Yeah. And I, then like I... it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. There's just a couple of pages that are so poorly laid out. And I was like, whose oversight was this? Did mm-hmm. you do? I know there's good editors at Marvel mm-hmm. and I know somebody had to look at this before it went to the printer. How did you miss that? It yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But I do think it has promise and I did, uh, by the end of the issue, I was excited about it. So uh, I do want to read next month, but that beginning had me a little bit off and so did that kind of the I, inconsistency. I was hoping it was going to be more of, um, not like, Baby Thanos growing up. I was hoping it would be more like the start of his tyranny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I thought as well. Yeah. I didn't realize like it was going to be, you know, more of he has feels. Yeah. He feels feels yeah. with like, yeah. you know, he, he just wants a pet. Yeah. And he just wants to love it and cuddle it and like yeah. feed it and let it grow old and stuff. Yeah. Except they had like, just gotten him a dog. Yeah. Nothing else bad would have ever happened. Thanos babies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like sea monkeys. So, I don't know. I know what you mean, Bobby. Like, I completely agree. Like, it's like um, the Batman in The Dark Knight where he's just like, some people want to, some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. Yes. It, that still stands for villains. We don't need to always give them a backstory. Some people yeah. are just evil for the sake of being evil. Yeah. And give them a backstory, but he doesn't have to be he got teased so he became a you know a mm-hmm. fucking world conqueror you know but I, f- I find like the conspiracy aspect of it to be interesting uh, yeah. mm-hmm. so uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that um, Steve take us away from the Marvel world yeah bring us into the indie world here yeah let's do a little bit of indie talk uh, I read a lot of indie books this week and one of the things that I got to partake in finally after the recommendations of my lovely uh, podcast co-host, I read Rachel Rising. Nice. Yeah. Very, very good. I'm sorry. I think we talk about this book way too much. Just to play <laughs> I'm only going to talk about it for a minute because i got other books to talk about. But uh, Rachel Rising is totally worth your time, worth your money. Uh, I started reading it in the morning. I think I read about two issues. And I was up until, like, throughout the day, I kept picking it up. Uh, and by 3 a.m. that, I guess, next morning, mm-hmm. I had read all 15 issues. Um, it's so great. It's, out, it's, it's really, it's outstanding. I really, uh, I really got pulled into it. I liked the characterizations. I fell in love with one character in particular. Um, his name is Earl. Mm-hmm. I absolutely positively love Earl. Um, and there's some really, really twisted stuff going on in here. There's a character in this book who has a really, really, um, just a, a situation going on at home that I, I would never condone anyone do. But for some reason, I know that he's disgusting. I still like him. <laughs> I still like him a lot. Um, so, yeah, so I am officially on the Rachel Rising train. Uh, really, <laughs> I thought you really, were... Huh? Oh, I thought you were going to say that you love Jet. No, well, I love Earl. I don't want to. I'm trying not I, to. I know. Yeah. Well, I know what you're trying to get to, but yeah. I thought for sure you would be like in love with her. Oh, absolutely. Well, the the all right, Earl and Jet in the book share a relationship together in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very, very, very endearing without being 
a thing. Mm-hmm. If if you read it, you'll know what I what, what I'm talking about. Um, really, really enjoying it. I'm glad that I'm reading it now, and I'm I'm totally adding this to my uh, pull list. Apparently, it's only going to be 24 issues, so nine more, and we'll reach the end. Um, but what I would suggest with Rachel Rising is if you're going to read it get the trades or if you are so fortunate get a couple of issues because the first issue is super duper short feels shorter to me than the others Mm. and um it just doesn't it doesn't do very much to set up the momentum that the comic has and keeps once it gets going around like the end of the second issue to the third it starts to pick up steam and once it does it just doesn't stop Mm -hmm. Um, really, really fantastic uh, lore and backstory, and just rich characters. It's very good, mm-hmm. obviously. Like, there's so many up. ways it could go to right now. Like, oh, I'm so interested to see what he does with it. Right. Yeah. Um, buddy cops. I read. Yeah. Yeah. It was all right. <laughs> it was all right. Um, I'm a tough one to please when it comes to comedy. I don't find direct jokes always to be that mm-hmm. funny. Um, it would be, I, it would be, I liked the, uh, listen to, uh, the hello song and look at yeah. this page. Yeah, that was I great. actually went onto my computer onto YouTube and I listened to it when I was reading it and it was yeah. pretty damn entertaining. Yeah. There's a montage in the book that t- it recommends you listen to Lionel Richie's hello oh. while it's playing. And it's like a, you know, a, they're separated. The partners are separated montage. It's pretty funny. So, um, what I do, what my, my book of the week is um, that I absolutely loved was uh, I picked up a book through, uh, I got mine through Amazon, and uh, apparently Jason Brubaker, who is a, um, he's a, he has his own podcast, he's an artist, and he's a writer, uh, started a couple of Kickstarters and came out with a book called Remind, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to describe this book to you. It's going to sound really weird. It is. But I'm not going to tell you too much because it's, in my estimation, it's relatively short. It's two hardbound uh, books that are, are, are packed with color and, and the art is just magnificent. But the, if I tell you too much of the plot, it'll ruin it. Anyway, there's a girl named Sanja who lives on a, like a, like an island part of town uh, in a lighthouse. Her father is this guy who kind of got a reputation for telling a uh, urban legend or a fairy tale about around the town that kind of stuck and kind of put the town on the map about this lizard man living within the, the waterbed or the lake near the lighthouse. And so people come from all around to study it, and there are these constant uh, bubbles inside of the water that it's always kind of bubbling around. You don't know what's underneath there. And so she's working uh, inside of the lighthouse one day, and her pet cat goes out to go and, you know, get some fish or whatever, just go play down by the water, and gets pulled into the water by an, an unknown thing. The cat goes missing for about a week and comes back, and it's got stitches atop of its head where the brain would go. Uh, Sanja finds out the next morning that her cat, whose name is Victuals, can actually walk and talk. So he's walking around on his hind legs, and he's speaking to her. She's rel- she's concerned. She thinks she's going crazy. She doesn't want the townspeople to find out that her cat can now, you know, walk and talk. And essentially what she finds out is that something happened to her cat where the cat is no longer who it's supposed to be or what it's supposed to be. And it needs to get back down into the water to solve this mystery of sorts. 
uh, she has this suit that was actually built for her father. It's kind of like a Iron Man underwater welder type mm. of suit where you can go down into, you know, into the pressures of the water and you'll still be okay. And it's got kind of like super strength so you can move rocks and, and swim through rough currents and things like that. And she essentially um, augments it and outfits the cat that is looking to get back into the water with this suit. So you've got a cat going down into the depths of the of the water with like an Iron Man suit on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, that's all I'm going to give you. I hope that entices you to pick it up and read it because <laughs> it's pretty, it's weird, but it's got a really, really hard, uh, whimsy edge to it. The world that is underneath the water is absolutely gorgeous. It's this, you know, underwater city where they've built little pockets where there is oxygen so people can go around. Then you ask yourself, well, who are the people living down here that they need oxygen inside the water? And uh, it basically ends up being a rescue mission of friends and identities uh, underneath the water. The artwork for it, as I said, was is just absolutely gorgeous. The color work is very pretty. It's often... Um, the art's a little Scotty Youngish at times, a little bit of a like a like a Nicktoons mm-hmm. cartoon vibe to it, a little bit of a of an anime feel, and uh, it's just beautiful to look at. Whole pages of like underwater scenes and cities and action panels, and uh, there's a lot of intrigue to the story as well. Uh, I was completely pulled in. I read uh, both volumes back to back. Uh, and just if you have the chance, it's called Remind uh, by Jason Brubaker. Totally, totally worth uh, your money. They're, they're like, I think it's like 16 uh, or you can probably buy it uh, directly through his website. And just really cool to see, you know, this was all this was this all happened because of Kickstarter. He actually talks about that in the back of the books and gives you kind of like a guide as to how he went from building this thing from beginning to end of how it was something that it wasn't Mm -hmm. and that it got back and then how he changed the format of it so many times. And it's just a very inspiring process to see and to read like what one would have to go through to have something like this on the shelves. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really cool that it's available through other means because otherwise I might never have found it. Uh, I actually found it by searching Scotty Young inside of Amazon, and this came up. He does one of the, I think he does the forward in the second volume. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, uh, Remind, Jason Brubaker, you get a chance, you have a friend that owns it, uh, borrow it, order it, pick it up. It is totally worth it and screams indie if you're in the mood for something like that. Very cool, very cool. Um, So for me, really quick... uh we got some new teams come on some DC books uh, this past week. Uh, the first I want to talk about is uh, Charles Soul and Kano on Swamp Thing. Uh, I mentioned at the conclusion of 18, which I just loved, that Swamp Thing was one of those books that, because Snyder wasn't going to be doing it anymore, if I was going to give the new team a chance, mm-hmm. and if they didn't come through, I, w- I was probably going to drop the book because it just I was you know looking for creator more than character. Um, I got to say though, after reading issue 19, it's Firmly sticking uh, on my pull list. Uh, I loved the 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 new team. Uh, the book stakes its way away from. It definitely mentions in passing like the events of what came before and lets you know. Okay, this is the same character, but it's not. This is not a comic about what happened before. It's a comic about what's happening now. Uh, immediately opens up Swamp Thing's world where you know in <clears throat> even with the, even the rot world stuff dealt with a lot of heroes in kind of this you know worst case scenario future 
really, except for Animal Man, Swamp Thing has been very secluded in one place. Just naturally, he he's in Louisiana or whatever, so he doesn't spend a lot of time with the other DC Universe. This takes him right into the DC Universe. He goes to Metropolis, and he's at the Botanical Gardens, and he's just trying to hang out and uh, <laughs> trying to rejuvenate himself. You know, he wants he wants to be more in touch with the plant life and stuff. And Scarecrow happens well again because he's looking for this rare flower to make the fear toxin with, oh. uh, and it's the only place left he can find it. And he has a confrontation uh, with Swamp Thing. And the thing I'll say about this book, m- much more than the Snyder stuff ever was, there's a, a really a, a really great sense of fun to this book. Uh, it's a little bit lighter in tone. It, it shows off Swamp Thing's powers a little bit more. And his interaction with the Scarecrow and what's sure to be Superman in the future seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. There's a line where he says, you know, uh, yeah, you can't go out in the day because you know Superman is is a is, is different than everybody else. But he looks like a male model, and I look like a salad. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a great line, and I, I I really was invested in the book. And the last page is great, and I'm I'm really excited what what comes next. Steve, did you get a chance to read? I did not, and I actually heard a couple. Uh, not all right. I I heard a non-descript opinion. I got a, did you read Swamp Thing? No, I didn't get the chance to yet. Thoughts? Blank. So it had me really, really concerned, and I was trying to read it before I got here, but I did not. But I'm glad that you thought so highly of it, because now it's got me jazzed to check it out again and kind of, you know, delve into it and make my own opinion and such. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, even if you, you know, if you're same thing as me, if you were kind of iffy about not reading the book because Snyder is on it, definitely at least check it out because I, I think that a lot of people are going to be surprised by how much they like it. Um, speaking of really being surprised by how much I like something, uh, I picked up Action Comics 19. Uh, I almost like a uh, morbid curiosity because I knew Diggle was already gone. I wanted to see what we would have gotten, and maybe there's a little bit of, you know. Uh, you know, graduation goggles where, you know, he's gone. So I'm looking at it in a, in a more, in a rosier light, but I thought the issue was, was pretty great. Um, look, Tony Daniel art. Don't like him as a writer, beautiful book to look at majestic, big, colorful. Um, Superman is written the way I want Superman to be written. Uh, it's obvious that Diggle gets the character. There's a little bit of heavy lifting that happens at the open of the issue where they're kind of trying to be like, this is who Superman is, this is who Lois Lane is, blah, blah, blah. But once you get past that, there's some great rat-tat-tat between Lois and Superman. Uh, Lois and Clark, I say, not, not Lois and Superman. Um, and then great action. There's great Superman action. You throw in giant robots and you know that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Which you need in a Superman book as well, not just the kind of you know uh, rosy stuff. You need the the action as well because that's he's can do anything. Uh, kind of great hook the last page and some great Lex Luthor stuff. I, I I thought as well. It makes me sad that it's going away. Bob, I know you flumped through yeah, it. Yeah, uh, the Lex scenes particularly stuck out for me. Yeah. He's really creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, smart. I don't want to spoil how this all works, but you can see he's the smartest bad guy in their universe. Yeah, he's got a really really nasty plan yes he does and uh, we'll just leave it at that yeah uh i i like some of the art there's there's one page of superman that i i realize he's kryptonian but i'm sorry there aren't muscles there (laughs) there there are not 57 intercostal muscles that i know of that could be delineated on his outfit (laughs) but that's just me uh the cover's a big cheat too 
Oh yeah, the, it's the, the, a WTF the cover, yeah, fold-out cover that makes no sense. Yeah, to what's inside. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a cheat, a total cheat. But good issue though. It's I a really, really good issue. Um, I'm gonna read the rest of the arc because it's it's from Diggle's plot. So I'll definitely at least read these three issues and then see where it goes from there. But it's sad, you know, that that he's not continuing. I don't, I don't know what happened, but. I would really like to have seen where he took the character mm-hmm. over months and years and, and what have you. WTF. WTF, yep. man. WTF. Uh, and lastly, my book of the week is Indestructible Hulk, uh, number six, uh, written by Mark Wade, art by Walt Yay. Simonson. Uh, we talked about Indestructible Hulk a bunch of times, and I've said, you know, I've liked it, but as much as I think Lano use art is beautiful, did not fit to me with the writing that Wade was bringing to the table. This seems like a perfect marriage. I don't know what came first, chicken or the egg. If if Mark Wade was like, I'm writing this Thor story, we should get Walt Simonson to do it. Or they're like, hey, Walt wants to do your book, or we want Walt to do your book. And he's like, oh, I'll write a Thor story. Yeah. I don't know wh- what happened. But um, like much of what I said when we talked about Alan Davis a couple weeks ago with Wolverine, it's an artist that I, I, you know, I know who he is, and I've seen pieces of art, but I've never really read a whole book uh, illustrated by him. Uh, I went absolutely crazy for it. I, the, the, the amount of personality... And fun in it, 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 just in every pore of every character it is infectious. Um, it's funny that he brings out Wade's writing incredibly well with, with his visuals. And you know, I, I I love the last page. I love the mystery of the book because we don't mm-hmm. quite know what's going on. Uh, went crazy for it. I you know, I, it's my favorite issue of this run of Hulk, and it's probably my favorite issue. I haven't read that many Hulk books yet. My favorite issue of a Hulk book ever right now. Wow. So that that's... Hot damn. Yes. Oh, the action sequences in the land of the Frost Giants. I yeah. Mean, th- that's what Walt's Thor was like. Mm-hmm. You know, month after month, year after year, just spectacle. Mm-hmm. Thor is enjoying the crap out of himself in yeah. these sequences. He, you know, it's smiting and, and mm-hmm. battling and uh, I could win, I could lose, but you know what, I'm going to have a good time doing yeah. it. Uh, the Hulk is massive, but not to the point of being... 47 feet tall we, mm-hmm. we there's there's a certain size we're going to keep to that makes some sense here he strains to do some things which yeah. is fun to watch it yeah. isn't just i can smash everything i know there's some heavy lifting involved literal heavy lifting yeah uh but the human characters are well done too yeah. his, his assistants in the lab those shots of walt's fantasy is sort of looking down into this giant lab mm-hmm. and equipment stuff and it's never forced it beautifully balanced yeah and I, I, I'm so excited that we get to see a full arc with this. I, I, I hope if he wants to be on a book that Marvel will put him on a book permanently because I could look at this art, you know, all day, every day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those, those are my books. Uh, that's our books of the week. Uh, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about our inspirations. And, uh, you know, like, like I said at the top of the show, uh, because of the passing of some pretty giants in both criticism and in co- the comic book world, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, those people. And then we're going to also talk about the people who inspired us, because I think these people in a lot of ways inspired me. I know especially Roger Ebert for me was a big inspiration. So, um, but before we get to Roger Ebert, I do want to talk about Carmen Infantino, obviously a comic book legend. And we're going to hand it over to Bob because 
Bob knows what he's talking about. So, oh well, sometimes. In, in this one, yes. Uh, sitting here in front of me, though, it's not my original copy. Is Flash one thirty seven, which is the two Flashes, Jay Garrick and and Barry, just beating the crap out of each other because well, Vandal Savage is involved, and the, the artistry involved. You know, Carmen Infantino had been working since the forties for DC. Created the Black Canary uh, way back in the in forty seven Flash eighty six, the original one. Uh, his a very singular art style. It was the angular but pretty. His his the flash moved in a way that nothing else ever had before. Even the fellows who had done it before. And when you saw an Infantino cover on this or or Adam Strange Mystery in Space, it was I want that book. I want this guy who's drawing the Flash. Uh, he created co-created Batgirl with with Gardner Fox in '67. Ended up being DC's go-to guy for covers, costumes, uh, new characters, became their art director, editorial director, publisher for many years. Sort of got forced out uh, under sort of bad circumstances. He got leveraged into raising DC's prices by Marvel. (laughs) They did a back and forth, we'll raise the price, you raise the price, we go to 25 cents, but giant size, we cut back to 20, you're stuck at 25 cent books. DC books tanked. And the shame of it was just before that, he had brought on board Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, even got Jack Kirby to come across the street. And he got put in a bad situation with finances. Uh, Jeanette Kahn took over. She was a magazine publisher. DC did better. He kept drawing. He went over to Marvel. (laughs) It was really weird to pick up Spider-Woman and see it's the It's Carmen Infantino. Why is he doing Spider-Woman? But he did Spider-Woman great. No matter what he did, it was one of those... I don't know if there are guys like this for you where you look at a cover and say, I want that. I love that artist. That seem a little more generic now. Mm-hmm. That's how me, I feel in, about in Staples. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So it's that way for me. Infantino is just a titan in this industry. It was still making appearances, still teaching. It's only a couple of years ago. He will be missed. Absolutely. Um, and I'll, also, not really the comic book world, but you know, Roger Ebert passed away Uh during from his long battle uh with thyroid cancer and you know producing stuff up until the end you know i i think we were talking about i think he reviewed something like 300 movies last year or something like that um you know roger ebert in in a time when there was no internet and we're seeing people talk passionately and intelligently about you know, in quotes, things that don't matter, you know, t- you know, movies, TV didn't exist. And, and, you know, being able to see even the clips they showed during those, mo- you know, in those reviews mm-hmm. that, you, you know, you couldn't watch a trailer whenever you wanted to, you couldn't look at movie clips whenever you wanted to. And I remember I would always try to, you know, and as a kid, I didn't have an understanding of what time it was on because it was always on different times and I would stay up late to watch it and I didn't even care what they were reviewing because it, it was just fascinating to me that there was somebody on TV talking about movies in a passionate and an intelligent way. And, you know, him and uh, Gene Siskel, would, even they wouldn't agree and they, and they would argue with each other sometimes and you, you didn't see that. You know, there was just two people talking to each other about movies and I think that in a lot of ways that kind of showed me what a critic was, you know, that he was the 
basically the avatar for me for what a critic was. He was like, only thing I understood is what that was, you know, um, before a time where I was reading newspaper reviews or anything like that. And, and I, I think in a lot of ways, the style in which him and Gene Siskel kind of, of you know, created uh, is the prototype for a lot of what happens on the internet today. You know, the, the idea of people talking about these things the way they talk about them, you know, I'm sure there are probably people who did it maybe before him, but the the seismic shift that they caused in in, in that landscape, you know, it's always a stick in my brain. And, and to the end, you know, even if I didn't agree with the things he was saying, he was always well-reasoned. He, always, he seemed to have a philosophy behind the way that he criticized things. I listened to a, a piece where he was being interviewed and, and he talked about, you know, ratings being the bane of critics because, you know, it's so arbitrary to put a number on it. And, you know, that's the reason they came up with the thumbs up, thumbs down thing, which is because, you know, either you see it or you don't see it. You know, that, that was, he think was the pure thing. But he talks about how in the paper he did a four-star system. And, you know, what does that mean? Two and a half stars, three stars. That doesn't mean anything to anybody because they don't have a direct correlation for that in their in their lives. But he said that, when he reviewed things, he would review them based on what they were trying to do, the genre they were in, and you know if they achieved what they the mission they set out in their movie. He goes, you know, that's why I give a great review to a horror movie like Last House, Last House on the Left. He's like, that doesn't mean I think it's as good as Citizen Kane, but in its in its genre, it's doing everything it's supposed to do. And I, I, hearing somebody talk about something like that, oh, it, that inspires me doing what we do, and probably made me want to be the reason I wanted to talk about movies and that he's gone is, is a huge, it's a, it's the end of an era. It's a huge hole in the world now. And I don't think there's anybody else exactly like him ever again. No, certainly there were newspaper critics and he was one mm. when they started that show back on PBS when it was sneak previews, but no one had spoken on television about movies that way. It was after the weather the right. new so-and-so movie opened today. And look, here are the people standing out in front. You should go see this. It mm. was good. Yeah. Th- th- no. Now it was camera angles, director's intent, this performance, that performance. You got to know supporting actors and actress, uh, actresses, uh, camera people, mm-hmm. you know, costume designs. Everything was, was grist for the mill. And as you say, in every category. And the, the two of them particularly were not unwilling to correct mistakes. If they thought they got something wrong, they'd yeah. go back. Mm-hmm. We, I, I famously have on the old Laserdisc the, their Halloween review uh, where they realized after the fact, oh, this was really a good movie. We, didn't, we blamed all the other stuff on John Carpenter. when it, He didn't do those. He made a great movie. Mm-hmm. So go see that. They would find those little gems. We didn't know independent movies from a hole in the wall back right. in the 70s. What, you know, there was John Cassavetes and some of those guys, but eh, who paid any attention? They made you pay attention. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, we all want to say the, the indie movement, they may have helped create it just mm-hmm. by making sure there was room at the end of their show for, here's one you may not have thought about. Yeah. And give it the same weight as a Hollywood blockbuster. Absolutely, yeah. And you, I think about like the, the, the idea of like what a cinef- cinematographer is. Like that, when I was a kid, I had no idea. What, you, you don't have no idea, you know? It's not like you watch a movie and you're not like, okay, there was a person tapping on a chair and told somebody to do this, but it's just a movie, you know? And you don't think about lighting or framing or any of those things. And you hear... I remember the first time they said the name Janusz Kaminski. I, yeah. mean, I don't even, I, like, you know, but then you, you hear that name once 
And then you see another movie, like, oh, that movie's beautiful. And then they mention that name again. And all of a sudden, that name becomes synonymous with a certain style mm-hmm. and a certain look to you. And you're having a film education without even realizing it. And uh, there's so much power in that. And, and it, it's amazing that they became as famous as they did doing that. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, I don't know, Steve, did you have any, did you watch the Siskel Niebert show? Um, I did not. Um, but I mean, it's hard to grow up and not be, or grow up loving film and not know who, uh, Siskel and Ebert were. Mm. Uh, it's definitely, uh, a loss for the industry and, you know, they, they pioneered a lot of things that, uh, that we have now as reviewers, as podcasters, as founders of, of a website and all of that, that, um, I mean, I certainly wouldn't have my job mm-hmm. if it weren't for, you know, for these people. Um, or at least I wouldn't have it to the extent that it exists. Um, so for that, I am very thankful and I'm very, uh, saddened at, at, uh, at the passing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it's a, uh, it's a shame. I mean, we'll, we'll move on. Movies will still be reviewed, but perhaps not in that same style that maybe perhaps something was lost uh, when he was lost. And I think that's a real shame. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, did they even broadcast Siskel Niebert in Canada? Uh, yeah. I didn't watch it a lot because like, I didn't really grow up with um, consistent TV in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember seeing episodes and stuff. And I mean, he's the movie critic to me. Um, I mean, before I heard any other name... It, like associated with movies, you knew that if Ebert liked it, that it was something you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I remember watching movie trailers, and you know, you, it'd be something like I'd seen and loved, like The Little Mermaid. And you know, you'd be watching the trailer for it coming out on DVD, and they'd be like, Ebert gives it two thumbs up, and I'd be like, I knew this was good. I knew that too. <laughs> like you. It was just the name. I mm-hmm. didn't know who he was, mm-hmm. but I knew I knew what he meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's so incredible. Like, he he wasn't a, just a person. He was a brand mm-hmm. yeah. um, and an icon. And, you know, it's really sad that he's gone because he gave such an honest, no bullshit um opinion Mm. about anything that mattered to him not even just movie stuff and um somebody posted like this great quote about him the other day and i think because you know when i go on dates and stuff i think wow i really hope this person likes the same movies as me because we will (laughs) like if there's few things (laughs) there's things that you can't you can live without you can have opposites Mm -hmm. but there's things that you need to have the same like just there's certain things. And Roger Ebert had this quote that said, never marry someone who doesn't love the movies that you love because sooner or later that person will not love you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I and, really like that for a number of reasons. <laughs> right? And I just think that's so perfect because, I mean, you know, you can like different foods and all that stuff, but if you don't mm. like the same movies and you can't go out and enjoy yourselves like together on something as simple as that, then like, What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. He will be missed, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, th- th- it was that kind of thought about how much it influenced me that brought on this idea of doing this show, you know, about the things that influence us and the people who I- influence us. And, 
I mean, Stephanie, why don't you why don't you lead lead us off with someone that's been a big influence on your life? Um, I think all my life I've loved, and I think Bob will probably agree with me on this one. But um, I think one of my first loves, as far as I mean, outside of like the Little Mermaid, who's fictional, but Audrey Hepburn. Um, I, to I me, growing up, she was the definition of elegance and class. She's just so simple and beautiful and so smart. And I wanted to read everything about her. I wanted to watch everything that she was in because to me, she just meant so much more than the movies that she was in and like what she stood for and everything she believed in was just beautiful to me. So I know Bob is a big fan of her as well. I don't know if he absolutely and she was on my list as a matter of fact mm-hmm. uh well, it's one of those it's one of the people that can teach you with, that there's grace in the world mm-hmm. that there's mm-hmm. something beyond you know she made great movies and did all that it's what she did after where she realized that her celebrity meant something to people outside what her life was and if she could turn that celebrity into if people would pay to see her and that money would go to unicef mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. starving children her last movie is Steven Spielberg's Always. She had been retired for a couple of years at that point. She had come back once after raising her kids, which was the biggest focus in her life was having children. She desperately needed to be able to love somebody else and had four miscarriages, including once being thrown from a horse and breaking her back while making a movie. Wow. Um, so Steven Spielberg came to her. It's a remake of an old Spencer Tracy movie. He wants someone to play God or an angel on Earth. And she figured, well, who better than Audrey Hepburn? <laughs> Went to her, and she said, no, I'm done. I don't do movies anymore. You have to do this. I'll give you a million dollars for two days' work. And she thought for a second, if you write the check to UNICEF, I'll do it. That's Audrey Hipper. Nothing more need to be said. She's such a beautiful person. Like, ugh, so great. And I'll leave you with another quote about her as well, which just, for me, doesn't sum up her charity side of it, but again, just the fun side of her that was so much more than what you saw on the screen. And it just, ah, she just said, if I'm honest, I have to tell you that I still read fairy tales and I like them best of all. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like just so simple. And yet it tells you so much about a person. I was privileged enough on many occasions to meet her son, Sean, because I've been uh, donating to her children's fund for a number of years. And her son, when speaking about things like this with people, because people want to connect to his mom through him, his eyes light up still, that people mm-hmm. talk about his mom in the way that you are, Stephanie. And so, And uh, she actually, there's a very famous photo of her reading him a Captain America comic book. There's <laughs> some random issue from the early 70s <laughs> with a Jack Kirby cover or whatever. It's like, so no, she liked fairy tales. She liked Captain America. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was makes her relevant talking comments. That's exactly. right. See, we tied that together in a nice Br- bow. Yeah, bringing it, bringing it back in. Um, <laughs> Steve, what about you? Give us, give us a person. Um, my, uh, <laughs> I'm realizing my list might be a little bit more personal than everybody else's. Do you want me to go now? Or? No, yeah, go now. Go. I, I have personal people on my yeah. list, too. It's All just, right, well, yeah. the first person that I want that I, I need to mention is my father. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad basically got me started in art and, uh, he really inspired me in a sense of, of the way that he raised me. Um, I know that 
not all parents will share this opinion, but my both my mother and my father placed absolutely no restrictions on me whatsoever. Um, I never gave them a reason, but I've never been grounded. Uh, I never was not able to watch something or read something. There was never a, you can't see this, you can't have that, you can't whatever. Um, and not in a sense of that I was spoiled, but in a sense of that they wanted me to experience as, as much as I could. And specifically my dad, uh, when he was around, just always, always encouraged me to consume as much as I can and to be sure that I explore something before I have an opinion about it. And that was something that always stuck with me, uh, even to this day and probably until the day I die, that um, I just, I am a, I'm a curious person. I like to know details. I like to know things. And he just always, always emphasized to me that you need to, you need to get in there. And you need to you need to explore as much as possible. And that's kind of been something that's stuck with me through, you know, even in comics, you know, wanting to know details about a story and about characters and about the emotions. Like a lot of the questions that I ask when we interview people on these interview podcasts is, you know, perhaps a little bit more off the cuff or personal and because I want to know I want to know what makes them tick. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to just know details about story and stuff i want to know where those details came from what was the inspiration what happened to you that prompted you to write this or believe in this um so in that regard um from a journalistic standpoint a huge inspiration for me is actually hunter s thompson i absolutely absolutely fell in love uh i fell in love with him i admit it through the film fear and loathing in las vegas but once i had seen that uh, I went and I explored his other works. I picked up his books. I read his stuff. And his his honesty and, and his approach to to involving himself in his writing and making the writing as personal as he did when he was reporting on all of these things, that he placed himself not only he was he was a character within this world that he was you know experiencing these these things to talk about them. And when I write my reviews, when I write stories, I like to get very personal because I feel like it brings the reader closer to the person actually writing the article. Not everybody wants that. Sometimes people feel it's a little bit too much. But for me, it's the only way that I know how to go about it and to still enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. I don't always like just the bare facts and it's it's clean cut. I like to give people a bit of context a little bit of story and I like to connect with people and make friends. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of his work basically just taught me how to be honest in my writing and to, to go for the throat and not necessarily not care who it shakes up, but to, you know, keep your integrity and, and put it out there. And for those that will embrace it and will identify and listen to you, they will really get something out of it. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, he's definitely a hard, hard inspiration for me. Hmm. Bob, what about cool. you? Uh, I have, as Steve did, I've spoken at great length about my dad on this show more than once. Uh, matter of fact, wrote a piece some while back, The Secret Origins of a Comic Book Fan. So rather than go through this during a tough time, my dad passed away on Easter Sunday many years ago. So this is you know front of my mind today, mm -hmm. but... Um, I did that. So uh, the, beyond my dad, the first person I saw as a hero is from television. Mm -hmm. It's George Reeves as Superman. 
just the resolute nature and charm of someone managing to do that. It was my first encounter with that character. And this is how you protected others. This is how you, you spread your, your, your goodwill to, to a world, in essence, and how you, you could come upon tyranny and evil and monstrous doings and persevere and do it with charm and, and just bonhomie, as they say in French. Um, gambit. Ga- ga- I should have said gambit. Oh, sorry, Patrick. Bonhomie. Uh, maybe the next time. Oh, that would be. I, could, I can't go back on that. Um, and then quickly, just on a literary bent, because of uh, well, you people actually see some of my writing here and there. Um, it's the two leaders of the Algonquin Roundtable from back in the 1920s in New York, and I have sitting here in front of me the book "My Ten Years in a Quandary and How They Grew" by Robert Benchley, and my copy is actually signed. Wow! And since he died in 1945, that was a pretty good accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. Um, Robert Benchley, if that name sounds familiar to you folks, he is the grandfather of Peter Benchley, who wrote Jaws. Mm-hmm. Nice. And his, Peter's father, Robert's son, Nathaniel, was also an author. He was the George Carlin, Bill Maher, whatever you want to call his time, a sort of political writer, very funny for the most part, but he always had a point. It was about something, whether it was the day-to-day events and what went wrong in your life, or just something, I can make a point of this. And he and his running mate at this point, Dorothy Parker, who I've, whose poems I've actually read here on the air, they, for instance, as New Yorkers, or adopted New Yorkers in this case, uh, for instance, w- would go to political events. They were go to the Sacco and Vanzetti trial to stop people from being executed, fight for writers' guilds and unions and all the rest of it. It was a very different time in the world, and you read about their history, and then their writing itself. And <laughs> Gesundheit. Excuse me. Any, anything I put down on paper is basically filtered through this time from nearly 100 years ago. It's sentence structure and all the rest of it, so I owe a great debt to them. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, my parents are uh, uh, people I look up to an incredible amount, and in, in I mean, there is all the reasons why everybody looks up to their parents, uh, you know. But for me, um, my my parents taught me above all that you wake up early, work hard, and let the chips fall where they may. You know, you don't don't expect the world to give you anything. You have to go out and get get what you what you want. You know, and, and be kind be courteous, uh, you know, always be thinking about things, you know, be considerate. Um, but don't, don't wait for those things to come to you. You know, you need to go out and get them. And, uh, I will always, you know, always be indebted to them, uh, for that. Uh, and you know, a lot of ways it's the reason why I, I, I start websites and I, I make movies. It's just because, you know, they were always doing things and I, and I learned that from them. You know, my mom is a person who can't sit still. You know, she always has a project. She always has something going on. And that, that kind of rubbed off on me in a lot of ways. And um, that's a big reason why I, I do what I do now. And, you know, as far as writing goes, my, my, the, the way I wrote, I had I read a lot of books when I was a kid. You know, Roald Dahl is a huge influence on me as far as, 
kind of my sense of the the, the stuff that I really love. You know, that kind of ske- the, the the heartwarming with a slight skew to it. You know, has always been the thing that I've reacted to the most. And I think that you know, I was an un I was a kid who got teased a lot when I was a kid. So reading a lot was a way to escape a lot of that stuff. So I intake a lot a lot of books and um he he was one of the first people who i read that there were characters that were kids that acted like kids not didn't act like what Mm -hmm. grown-ups thought kids acted like and you know there is a truth in his stuff even though it was always surrounded by this craziness there was always something crazy happening but there was a, a, a emotional truth in that stuff that would always hit with me you know um and, you know, I, I, I went to, a, I did a lot of, a lot of schooling, you know, I, I, I got a, I got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. So I had a lot of teachers and, you know, in a lot of ways, th- th- those people are the people that, you know, m- make you who you are because you spend more time with them a lot of times than you spend with your, with your family. And I had, and it's for good, it's good and bad as well. You know, I, I, I had a professor in college. He was a director, my, my director of all my shows, and he was my my academic advisor. And uh, he he would often make things very tough on me, you know, on purpose to kind of I, I guess thicken my skin. And I I still think some of what he did was unfair, but mm-hmm. I I do find that that time helped me a lot. You know, th- there's a, a there's an armor you have to develop in the world and not, not become hard. You should never become hard, but you have to know that not everyone is, it it has your best interest at heart, you know, and um, to be able to kind of brush off rejection and brush off whispers and brush off stuff like that. You know, he was invaluable to me in that way. Uh, Absolutely invaluable. Um, and you know, as far as my movie knowledge goes and stuff like that, I mean, it's a very cliche thing to say, but you know, Steven Spielberg is, is, is the, my, what I define as a movie in my brain, probably in some yeah. primal level is a Steven Spielberg movie, you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I probably watched ET 6,000 times when I was a kid to the point where I couldn't watch. It. I haven't been able to watch it since I was a kid because my parents, Truth. sorry, oh, no. what? I was going to say E.T., true story. I'm actually named after, like, my middle name is Drew after Drew Barrymore because my wow. parents loved Gertie oh, wow. so much. <laughs> so, me me too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing about, you know, this kind of goes with the thing with my parents is my, my parents were not uh, people who, my, were not big movie people, were not big music people, were not, you know, not, they, they like movies, they like music, they like books, they like all that stuff, but they were never in my memory were never crazy about something so much that it rubbed off on me. You know, they weren't watching all these movies or my dad didn't watch, you know, my dad watched Westerns, but he didn't really, I don't ever remember him watching it, you know, in in my mind. So, but they were always great about providing me with anything I wanted and were always supportive of whatever direction I wanted to take. You know, when I wanted to be an actor, they were fine with it. You know, when I wanted to go to film school, they were fine with it. There were, there was never there, there was always encouragement and always uh, confidence in my abilities and what I could do. And in the end, when, when you have bad days, you know, knowing that there's that support system in the back, it lets you keep going. You know, if you didn't have that, it's easy to give up on things. And, 
you know, I rem- I still remember watching. I think I saw Last Crusade before I saw any other Nina Jones movie. But I remember, you know, I think they taped it off TV and gave me the tape, you know. And I would I like burned a hole in that tape, you know, watching it over and over and over and over again. And um, St- Steven Spielberg, you know, I-, I think that's still why now, like when I say a movie like The Avengers. I have so much, even though I love serious stuff, I love independent stuff, that movie I, I, I respond to so much more because it, it's something in my DNA. You know, it's something, the, the imprint of what a movie was to me is this big, interesting, good character stuff, but fun action adventure movie. And that's what I respond to across the board. And it's what I always think about when I want to write something is kind of the first place that I go. Uh, so yeah, uh, Stephanie, back to you. Um, I'm going to go to, uh, an actual fictional character here. Um, an inspiration for me growing up was, um, Lyra from the, his dark material books by Philip Pullman. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Um, you know, again, I didn't have a lot of like, uh, pop culture stuff as far as like TV and movies growing up. So my world uh, was built around fictional characters. Um, and Lyra was the first, I mean, she wasn't the first character that I really attached myself to. There were a lot of other things that I read pre that series, like the Narnia books and such, which are obviously fantastic and classics at that. But I mean, Lyra just spoke to me because it was this modern book that took this such an interesting look at a young girl and her unconditional love for um, the people in her life and the lengths she would go to to keep them safe and I just loved everything that she stood for and um, you know they were things that I read over and over again and and so like there's they're characters that you want to be like when you grow up and I mean not entirely because you know some of these characters grow through some shit yeah (laughs) i mean you know there's those qualities that you want to have in yourself when you're an adult Mm -hmm. you know and she was this little girl that was just so remarkable to me and um those books really you know changed my life so thank you philip pullman those are those are great books um (laughs) steve back to you (laughs) i'm sorry all right let's see um, my, uh, one of my, uh, major inspirations is, uh, Clive Barker. I've talked about this before. Uh, Stephanie was actually lovely enough to get me the graphic novelization of The Thief of Always, which is my favorite book of all time. See, I uh, listen to you. What? I listen to you. I, I would hope so. I'm chirping <laughs> into your ears once a week. What? 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 All right. So, stop, shush. So, uh, I, I, was, I used to be a big reader of books that didn't have pictures in them. <laughs> when I was growing up, I, I loved the Goosebumps series, uh, you know, R.L. Stein, uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of things like that. But when I picked up uh, Thief of Always, my mind was just Alone. And I'd been reading Magicka, and I, I read a whole bunch of things prior to this that were, you know, very fantasy-based, very uh, horror-based. But, I, you know, Stephen King, all of that stuff, I was reading all of it. But 
when I picked up that book and I read that book and I found out that there was a world inside of a book where this little kid gets, you know, stolen away in the middle of the night. Every every evening is Halloween. Every morning is Christmas. Every dinner is Thanksgiving. There's, you know, talking cats. There's a monster living in the lake. Uh, every, everybody is not who they say they are. It just, it, it made me realize that you could literally, you could go anywhere in a book. You can create anything. And by that, I started to write stories. I have countless, countless, countless just unfinished stories from middle school to high school to college to even now of things that I'm working on that I'm constantly trying to flesh out these ideas. I only got a quarter of the way. Hopefully one day I will finish one of them. But it just... Clive Barker basically opened up my eyes and and told me that there was a world outside of what I already knew. And it was an inspiration and a and a prompt again just like my parents had taught me is to explore and in that sense to explore my own imagination and not be afraid to create something from from something that I something that manifests itself within my head mm-hmm. that maybe I'm not the only one who will find this entertaining um let me see what else do I got on my list there was one more Chuck Palahniuk is another inspiration. I love his delivery and rhythm. He's a sick, sick, sick individual. <laughs> but that's what I love about him. I love his ability to shock me. I am not shocked by much. And his his books, his stuff unnerves me and gets to me. And I like to do that with my writing and with my stuff a lot of the times. And one last one for literary people. I got to go with Neil Gaiman. Gaiman, whatever. I don't even know how to say the man's last name. Gaiman. Gaiman? Yeah. I like that one better. So, he's kind of cool. Yeah. He's amazing. (laughs) Uh, I've read just about every book of his and have enjoyed the vast majority of them. And just another person that taught me just a much, much bigger a bigger world than, than my imagination could ever handle the capabilities of other people and the things that they're able to imagine and put on paper. And along with him, Clive Barker and Chuck Palahniuk, those three literary people um, have been kind of my literary heroes just because I, I would like to one day, outside of what we're already doing and stuff, I would like to create something for everybody to, to enjoy and to check out. And... It would be, if it ever came to be, it would be very much in the vein that their work will have prompted me to do it and will have shaped the writing voice that I have mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Bob? Uh, quickly on then two of those sort of writing things. One one of my influences you people have gotten to listen to, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, mm-hmm. from years and years of having read his stuff and played with writing things that that little bit that was we uh, recorded as a play sat in a drawer for about 10 years in <laughs> various states of undress basically um, certainly Harlan Ellison uh, great science fiction writer social critic media critic and certainly the uh, birth of my curmudgeonly attitude about <laughs> things is, is from his writing um, we were movie people in my house. My dad saw the Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera, the silent one, in a movie theater in 1925. It was always going to film. So we were 
you know, there wasn't home video. There was the picture for a Sunday afternoon in the 4.30 movie, a chiller theater we got to see. But always movies on. And to me, uh, it's two people that I would guarantee that Mr. Spielberg would cite as influences. Ray Harryhausen, uh, who was making those Sinbad movies, uh, certainly great dinosaur films like Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, giant monster movies, but Sinbad, Clash of the Titans, where there was just imagination galore. And before there was CGI, there was this one guy in a garage mm -hmm. with his little models. And his inspiration was, of course, Willis O'Brien, who invented stop-motion animation back in the early 19-teens and is the creator of the effects for King Kong. And the movies like The Avengers, like E.T., like Close Encounters, all those things, they all spring really from Kong back mm -hmm. in 33. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, one of the people... It, it, Kevin Smith, it, it, in many ways... It, it, kind of a keeps happening is an inspiration to me. I mean, I remember uh, as a kid, I saw Mallrats uh, first and, you know, I was like, that was weird. Hearing them curse the way they curse. I was like, wow, like this is how I, my, me and my friends talk to each other. I've never seen this in a movie before. And also, you know, they're talking about Superman and Lois Lane and, and you know, and I was like, wow, they're talking about comic book stuff in a movie. You know, this is, this is this this is strange, and then, you know, going back and seeing Clerks and hearing them talk about Star Wars, I'm like they're talking about Star Wars in a movie. You know, they're talking about a movie in a movie. I didn't that concept was not that was so not there for me. Obviously, now it's ubiquitous; it's everywhere. But at that point, I had never I never experienced it before, and both him and Quentin Tarantino, in a lot of ways, showed me that you could just that people talking was important. You know, they, somebody to a conversation, whether it be hilarious or deadly serious can carry a scene just as much as any, any action could carry it. And, you know, I, I, I would, I was obsessed with Kevin Smith a lot because he was the only person I could, I out there I could find that would just talk candidly about everything he was doing. This is the movie I'm doing. I'll do my commentary. I'll, ben Affleck will be here, and we'll just bullshit. You know, we're not going to talk about oh, this shot was really hard, and the you know we'll, we're going to talk about what it was like to film the movie. We're going to talk about stories that are happening in, in real life, and you know, his foray into into podcasting is the reason I wanted to do it in in the first place. And you know, that was another that was years and years later. You know, I was an adult by the time that happened, but that that was an inspiration again for me. You know, and whatever you think of his filmmaking capabilities or. Uh, him as a writer, him as even a personality, uh, the things he was able to do uh, uh, and, and the kind of constant reinvention that he's done in in the past few years uh, it inspires me because this guy could have made, could have made, but a director for hire for the rest of his life. And instead he decided, I don't, I, I got into this to tell stories. I'm done. I, I'm out of stories in this medium. I got to do something else. And instead of taking that steady paycheck, he decided to, as he says, uh, go w be where the puck is going, not where the puck was. And his wow. his religion of Wayne Gretzky that yeah. he kind of he kind of extols all the time. And to me, like that kind of forward thinking, and in all those facets that he since he started when he since he was a kid making movies, uh, inspires me just about every every day. So, anybody yeah. else have any anybody yeah. they want to yeah. talk about, Bob? 
I've got a list of twenty. <laughs> we have we have pe- people yeah. uh, looking to chime in. But Stephanie, do you have? You've only gotten <laughs> twice. So do you have anybody else you want to talk about? I mean, I'm the same as like Bob. I could go on forever. I mean, a lot of mine are, you know, women and fictional as well. So <laughs> it's well. Give us one more, Stephanie. Um, I think as far as you know, because I feel like I should go into comics a little bit as well here. Um, for me at least, Rogue. Um, again, fictional, but you know, to me, these are the people that I grew up with, and mm-hmm. they might not be real, tangible people, but they can still be, you know, inspirational and sure. all that such. But um, for me, like, Rogue was what really got me into comics in X Men the animated series. She made me want to read comics. She made me want to look for, you know, more after the show ended. And I just loved, you know, her incredible strength. And she was just so badass. And, (laughs) oh, that leather coat and her hair. So cool. (laughs) So cool. I don't know. I I don't have, like, too much to say about it. I mean, she just really, you know, paved the way for me outside of things like Archie Comics to kind of come into this world and do things like this podcast because, you know, without her and the show and the comics, I wouldn't be doing this and I wouldn't have a love for comics like I do. And, you know, feels. Feels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we had some listeners uh, kind of chime in w- 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 with their influences. Uh, Stephanie, do you have any of those from we got from Twitter? Yeah. Absolutely. We've got a few from Twitter. We've got a, and one big one from uh, Facebook as well. So yeah. I'll start with the big one from Facebook, um, but it's from friend and listener, Sarah Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, so she says, Hey guys, Twitter just won't give me enough space to wax lyrical over one of my biggest inspirations, Sir Terry Pratchett. He may not be known for comic books, although there are a few good graphic novel, novel adaptations of his books out there, but as an author and a person, he has probably m- had more influence on me than any other one individual I can think of. Neil Gaiman would come close, but I have nowhere near the hero worship for the great scruffy one that I do for (laughs) Sir Terry. Author of a massive number of Discworld novels, children's books, and my first Pratchett experience, a novel with my beloved Mr. Gaiman called Good Omens. I cannot think of a single duff experience with a work from Pratchett. He was the first person who made me want to write, and no matter how bad a day I might be having, I know I can always go to uh, Ank Morpick? Morpork? Ank Morpork? Yeah. And it'll make it all better. <laughs> sorry, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry for ruining your very nice, you know, your heart pouring out. Um, she goes on to say, Bob can attest to the reaction I had at NYCC last year when I looked like I wasn't going to get to meet him after standing in line for over two hours, and the happiness it brought me when I did get to meet him. Sir Terry helped my dad get back into reading when he was ill and needed a distraction, helped me get to know my now husband when we first met, and Rinse Wind, Granny Weatherwax, Captain Carrot, uh, etc. have all been there for me in a way no other set of characters have. I'll stop now as I'm filling up your Facebook feed, but I'm sure you will get where I'm coming from. So that's a really good one and full of lots of nice explanation and feels oh, yeah. the, all the feels the, that moment at the convention 
the entire room, it, it looked like no one was going to get to see this man. They kept changing the end of the line and putting things, and no one would leave. Mm-hmm. Well, he's uh, very sick, right? Yes, he has Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. they were trying to sort of protect him. But there was a lady online who runs the, the library for the National Spy Museum. <laughs> who even knew there was such a thing? Mm-hmm. It's in the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. And she called a lady at the front of the line, his publisher's press rep, to make sure the line kept going. And even at that, we nearly got cut off. I was standing with Sarah. And when she finally got up to him and they started to speak to each other, the publicist was crying, Terry was crying, Sarah and her husband and I, the photographer, the whole room just erupted. He is just a genuinely nice man and cared about everybody. So beyond even his literary work, just a genuinely charming man. Yeah. Very nice. Well, we have a few others that are mostly just, you know, 140 characters or less because they were sent to us on Twitter. So I'll read them out quickly here. I'm from Loopman8610. I know it may be a little cliche, but my biggest life influence is the Dalai Lama. Um, Shelf 64 says, Jim Henson and Frank Oz, the Muppets profoundly influenced the development of my sense of humor, my friends as well. Yes. And we should also mention that his wife just passed away. Yeah. So, I mean, she was the mother of the Muppets. Yeah, she helped found Mm -hmm. the company. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a sad day in... (laughs) Yeah, it's inc- incredibly I, yeah. sad. You know, it's incredibly sad, and you know, and not that this is the exact parallel to that, but uh, talking about influences really quick. I mean, growing up watching those PBS programs, you know, Sesame Street and, and that whole lineup of stuff, really, really did affect the way that I went at learning. You know, it made me excited to learn things, and it, that's invaluable. Like counting mm-hmm. one, uh, uh, uh. exactly. <laughs> Did you know that um, I believe the Muppets movie is still the highest-grossing uh, children's film of all time? Wow! No, I didn't yep. know that. Even like to the, everything that's come out, all the money that all these computer-generated films have made, that mm-hmm. I, I believe that the Muppets is still the biggest. Wow. Adjusted for fun. inflation. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the the original one. The original Muppet yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah. I was yes. gonna say that newest one made me cry, and I don't cry in movies, but I was like. <laughs> Right <laughs> I love the Muppets. The Muppets are great. Yeah. Anyways, so back on the ranch, uh, we've got Casey Bryant who said, I'm working on a comic right now and hands down the biggest inspiration has got to be Jeff Loeb. He rules. He Je- is pretty rad. Jeff Loeb is great. We've talked about Spider-Man Blue ad nauseum yeah. on this show, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we've got Joey Napalm who says, there's a lot. Art-wise, Jack Kirby, Alex Gray, J.H. Williams the third. And story-wise, Kirby, Gaiman, and Morrison. Alex Gray, I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting Alex on a couple of occasions. He is just an absolutely, absolutely amazing, amazing individual. If you haven't seen any of his arc or uh, arc art, uh, you can see plenty of it online at uh, alexgray.com. Or if you're a fan of uh, the music of Tool, he is, of course, the artist that worked on Lateralis and 10,000 Days and several other projects with Adam Jones. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful man. I uh, can't say enough good things about him. Just to shake his hand, you get this overwhelming calm <laughs> that uh, I actually sat in a drumming circle with him once and sat next to his daughter at Radio City Music Hall. They're just wonderful people and a wonderful family. There um, you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not to take away from your lovely story, but moving on, we've got uh, one last... Uh, uh, inspiration slash, you know, influence. And that's from a friend of the show, Lauren Collix. 
And she says, Margaret Atwood and Judy Bloom, excellent writers that pushed oh. boundaries for and about women and helped tackle censorship. Hmm. So, Indeed. Thank you very much, everyone, for writing in. Like, we can't do this without you guys sending in your feedback. And it would be awkward if we were like, ah, oh, we have listener inspirations from you guys. And there's like one of you. <laughs> you know, it's great that you all send stuff in and across all these different mediums. So thanks. Absolutely. Kudos. Absolutely. Um, speaking uh, of input from you guys, we have some non influences inspiration uh, feedback for some listeners. Uh, this is from uh, JR, and he says, Hey guys, uh, just had an interesting question. I know we all hate the Channel 52 fluff at the end of every DC comic lately, but I think that the idea behind it is not horrible. It's essentially a way to tell what's going on in all the other comics coming out that week. So although the execution is crap, I like the idea. <laughs> Can you guys think of a better way to let people know what else is coming out from a particular publisher that would be better than Channel 52, but is more than just an ad or a simple list? Yeah. Yeah. It was the Marvel Bullpen Bulletins page that they ran for 20-something years in their books. You got a column from Stan, sometimes just news, sometimes in just clowning around. Uh, a whole – the list with what you, you – I've come to know now was the preview solicitation sort of things, mm -hmm. but then a whole the rest of the page was the news stories about well make sure you see so and so is going to be in this issue and it's going to tie into this coming up three months from now you need to see this, but it was done with a personality they borrowed the whole idea from EC they had been doing their, their fan addict sort of thing, but it it also drew you into. At that point comics were just Stan and Jack are on my list by the way obviously. Well, of course. Um, they were now not, it wasn't dear editor. The letters pages were filled with information. These bullpen pages were. And it just struck me then as, well. Wow, I want to know more about this. I, I like these people creating the books. The new 52, uh, Channel 52, whatever you want to call this, Drek, um, what's really jarring is it's light and goofy. And I love Ambush Bug. I'm mm -hmm. a big Ambush Bug fan. <laughs> But you read a really deadly serious issue the way most of the DCs are. Something really awful just happened in the last page, the action comics. Yeah. And it's followed by stupid ambush bug. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it, it's like, okay, I just watched, you know, uh, Anna Karenina and she, she just, spoiler alert, she just went under the train <laughs> and I just got hit in the face with a Boston cream pie. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> by ambush bug. Yeah. Yes. Just, <laughs> no. Uh, give me give me a page with some personality, but leave it a text with a couple of pictures, and mm -hmm. don't create a comedy routine. Yeah, uh, I I think the you're right. The tone of it is jarring, and, and <laughs> it's not pretty to look at, and, and I I don't get anything out of it. Uh, you know, Marvel does this thing right now where at the beginning of their books. At least I know it's the beginning of Daredevil. I think it's other books as well. They do like it's almost like a newspaper. And it's the Daily Bugle, and it has like headlines of other things that are happening in the Marvel Universe. So it's like, oh, the Punisher's back. Uh, Spider, you know, Spider-Man crosses the line. You know, this whatever. That stuff is interesting. I don't think it's exactly. I don't think it's as full as it needs to be. I, I wouldn't. I don't mind the idea of creating something at the end of a book, like a a, a creative piece to kind of tell you what's going on. But I think you're right. I think it has to be more adaptive. To, to tone I think it would be almost better if it was you know m maybe it's almost done in kind of like the Marvel's way where it's like regular people being like you know it's like a scene between people mm -hmm. talking about stuff that happens but yeah it's too goofy especially you know after the Damien stuff happened 
you know yeah there you go at the end of every single book was what happened at the end of batman inc and in, in that issue and if you didn't read that first you would have been spoiled without ever picking up the book you know which is crazy so well, uh, what were you saying Stephanie? Well, to be fair, the Damien stuff was spoiled even before. That's true, but if you had managed to avoid, if you were a kid, I, let's I know say, what you mean. I know what you, you know, mean. if you were if you were somebody who wasn't active on the internet all the time, and, and you happened to oh, I'd pick up my books, and I I I made the mistake of reading so and so book, you know, before I read Batman Inc. and oh, wh- what you know, Damien's gone, you know that that that's that that is just a ridiculous way of going about it. I think, um, especially for something that's happening that week, you know, if you want to do it the next week, that's fine, yeah. but. That, that seems a little crazy to me. Any ideas for how to improve the uh, I don't know if it would improve it. It might be taking it a little bit too far, but um, possibly a web channel or web show that at the end of the book you get, they post you the address and you go there and there's like, you know, like a seven minute clip that gets updated every now and again from creators, from editors, from mm-hmm. publishers or whatever. Uh, and they just catch you up on what's going on. Try to be as spoiler-free as, as possible, or at least warn you. Mm. Um, but, I mean, you know, you could cover a lot of ground uh, by doing something like that. I don't know if it would necessarily take off, but, you know, we're yeah. just spitballing ideas here. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't Marvel launch something like yeah, that? Yeah, Marvel, Marvel is... Well, Marvel has a podcast called This Week in Marvel where I'm pretty sure they do something like that, mm. but uh, they announced, like, a web series that they're doing with someone who mm. used to host a G4 show. Yeah. Blair or something. Blair, no. yeah, I can't remember her last Blair name. Blair Butler. Blair Butler. Blair Butler. There, there you yeah, go. Thanks, oh, I like her. Um, and that's going to be a web series dedicated to the, the kind of thing we're we're talking about, where they're going to talk to people and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a good idea. You know, I, again, you're asking people to go one step farther. Well, that's why. Yeah. Yeah, which which is going to be trouble. You're going to definitely lose a section of people that way. But I I, I think that there's merit, like you said, to it, this idea of this. Stephanie, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I I try to avoid most of those things anyways, because if I want to read what's going on in the other worlds, I'll just read the books. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. But for people who are interested in that kind of stuff, uh, I think with yours, Steve, it kind of defeats the purpose because they want it right there. So you don't have to go elsewhere. But it is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else you'd really make it efficient without kind of it is an information drop it is right like it is one of those overwhelming we're going to throw as much information at you as possible kind of things so i mean it's hard to make it as efficient as possible when that's kind of its purpose well maybe people could just listen to the talking comics podcast whoa (laughs) well Um, people already probably do if they're listening lies if you're not (laughs) listening right now disregard what he just said Um, but i don't know i don't really i don't know I don't think there's anything wrong with being an information dump. I just think you need it'd be nice if they did it in a in a better package. You know, they could do it maybe like in a mini comic that's not like the channel thing. Maybe yeah. with the characters, be like, say this, what's going on in my universe? No, yeah. you know what they need to do? They need to do what they did in that uh, that issue of Batgirl. And oh. Stephanie can explain everything on a chalkboard. <laughs> oh, yeah, with, like, the little sort of glorified stick people and stuff. Yep. Yeah, I did kind of enjoy that. That was actually pretty well the best. Yep. Yeah, I, I would that. do that. I yeah. would read that. That's, if that's... they did that always, I would read it. <laughs> that's how Stephanie Brown can come back into the universe, into the Marvel Universe. She Marvel could be the, uh, 
the catcher up educator person thing. Girl. Well, I don't know if she'd be accepted in the Marvel universe, but maybe they'd stop trying to DC. kill her. DC, I slipped. Sorry. Thanks for calling me out on it. That was awesome. No, oh, you called Bobby out on what you thought was the Walking Dead thing. Shush. Um, the other thing too about it too is. It's the only place Ambush Bug exists in the New 52. I hadn't thought of that. It's yes. very weird that he only exists in this weird news program. Um, uh, yeah. So <laughs> we got, probably we got a, how he talks. Yeah. Man, see? We got a couple <laughs> cool stories uh, as well here. Um, this this one's from Mike, and he Mike asks, and he says, Hey, TCB crew, a few weeks back you got a letter in, in about what got you started reading comics, and you guys uh, went back to school with your answers. They both... You guys were all able to tell the specific teachers and books that got you excited about reading them. This was great to hear because I'm a fifth grade teacher and I bust my butt to get kids excited about reading. And if I can get my students excited about comics along the way, that's even better. So this year I went next level on it. We always have a writing assignment where the students create a fairy tale. And to expose these youngsters to the greatness of comics and graphic novels, I invited in a comic book artist, writer, uh, and the guy who got me into comics in middle school, Bob... uh, I'm not going to say this right. Lefevre. It's L-E-F-E-V-R-E. Lefevre. Let's definitely do it. Lefevre. Okay. Lefevre. Bob Lefevre to teach the kids about what he does, how he writes a story, how he lays out pages, draws his characters, etc. And they loved it. The kids are currently working on making their stories into comic books and I cannot wait to see how they turn out. It was a great twist on an average assignment that I hope has the same effect that on you uh, that it had on you guys when you talked about it on the podcast. I just want to let you all know that the conversation on the show was great to hear, and I thought you guys would enjoy how I shoehorn comic book awesomeness into my curriculum. Thanks for making a great podcast. Keep up the great work, Mike S. Good job, Mike. That's a lot of great. Yeah, that's a great story. Actually, also on that note, um, I was shopping at a comic book store on the weekend, and this is just specific to kids and comics. Um, there's a store called The Beguiling in Toronto. The Beguiling and The Silver Snail are pretty well-known worldwide for comics. Um, and The Beguiling puts on a really cool show called TCAF every year. Um, that's not really the point of it, though. But I was there, and uh, I picked up a flyer because it just was a really cute image and asked them what it was. It was like an illustration. And they'd opened up a comic shop that is exclusively kids' comics. Wow. Wow. The first step. It was the Brilliant. I I said to him, I said, Who runs the shop? They're like, Oh, it's part of us. Like we opened it up, but it's all like gateway comics for like kids. I mean, they're all ages comics, but they're kid appropriate and this whole shop that they've opened up is to help get kids into comics. How amazing is that? That's like, fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna put it. I swear to God, for any birthday present or whatever I have to get for kids, I'm going to go there and talk to them because I want to support that. That is mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. I think that is just the bee's knees. What so I wanted to share that. It's, um, it should be for shared. anyone who's interested. It's part of, Oh, here I have the file. I, oh, I had it in my, yes, organization. <laughs> Anyways, it's called little Island comics. So for anyone in the Toronto area, if you happen to be there, it's 742 Bathurst, Bathurst Street in Toronto. And they have a website if you guys are interested in, um, you know, maybe getting a recommendation. I'm sure maybe they ship. So littleislandcomics.com. So please, if you like ideas like this and you want your kids to get into comics and you don't know where to start, 
support shops like this because yeah. I think this is the coolest idea and I want people to be a part of it. Do they do birthday parties? That w- what a great <laughs> idea that would be, right? Can you imagine, yeah, yeah you, you get, get the, instead of going to Chuck E. Cheese's or the bowling alley or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 kids in the comic book store trade books with each other, draw comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so, so cool. Um, we'll put a link in, in the, the show notes for you guys. If you go to the, the post on the site, there'll be a link to the shop so you guys can uh, check that out. Um, a couple more emails we got here, more stories than questions, but uh, this is from Craig, and he says, um, "We, you know, we're talking about we've been talking about diversity and genders in comics, and he talks about DC Comics not doing a great job of it in their comics, which is odd because it's done such a good job of it in its in their animation, uh, from the introduction of Renee Montoya in Batman the Animated Series, to an African American Lex Luthor in Superman the Animated Series, to Static Shock." to the revitalization of Jon Stewart and the portrayal of Hawkgirl and their relationship in Justice League, um, to the loving portrayal of a vast array of characters in Brave and the Bold, and finally to Young Justice. Um, Young Justice start, has a season one primary cast that includes a black leader uh, in, in Aqualad, uh, two women, three of you include Zatanna, four of you include Rocket, the African-American female psychic of Icon, introduced at the very end of the season, each of whom has given ample time to develop a strong, independent, intriguing characters, and this is furthered in season two, as a book of season two, the lead character is arguably Blue Beetle, a relatively unknown character of Latin American origin, who's also introduced and developed uh, Bumblebee and Mal Duncan, Static again, Long Shadow. Um, you can go on and on and on. The point is, the sh- this show, besides being among the best shows, animated or otherwise, that he's ever seen, is absolutely wonderful from a racial and gender equality perspective. Um, and as it was put out uh, by DC, the very same company that has created controversy after controversy, in recent memory at least, for his apparent lack of consideration, if not outright disregard for racial and general equality in, in comics. He's like, I don't know if this is a specific question or it's a mini rant, just something inspired by your discussion over the last few weeks and months on the topic that he wanted to share. Rant away. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, I've kind of thought about that in a lot of ways, but it's it's great to see it laid out on paper like that. And it's true. I mean, you look at those shows and uh, they do have do a great job. I don't think there's anything we can even really add uh, to what he was saying. Um, Except that we agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another one, this is from uh, uh, Superbad Larry. Uh, Kyle, he says, Hi, guys. I don't want to exhaust this topic because I feel that the John Stewart issue actually speaks more about damages in DC's internal communications than anything else. But the issue of race and gender, for that matter, in comics is going to keep coming up until people are satisfied. However, people will probably never be truly satisfied, so the conversation will continue. You guys made a comparison of Damien's passing. People were not happy. They made it known and life goes on. This is the same thing. We have to make an issue known and explore all its facets. The creators of these tales that we enjoy are not perfect. They make mistakes. Sometimes they make decisions that look like mistakes, and without professional and public input, these things may pass without a benefit of a second look. I'm sure Gail Simone can attest to this. So the person who wrote in and said that he was tired of the race issue being brought up, I'm sorry that he feels that way, but as someone who has always had trouble trying to identify fictional role models, the conversation is warranted. Some of my favorite narratives, whether they be in film, novels, comics, or on television, have no characters that look like me, but I'm always glad for the ones that do. Cheers, Kyle, a.k.a. Superbad Larry. He's super bad. Yeah. And, and amen. Absolutely. Um, and finally, I want to give a shout out uh, uh, I gotta find his. I gotta find his name. Um, Andy, Andy. So Andy, uh, 
this was email. Well, you found it. The most random message you're, you're to receive all month. I'm a longtime listener, first time poster. After finishing this week's Talking Comics podcast episode, um, Macklemore's incessant thrift shop came on immediately. I don't know if it was the residual Johnny Walker in my system or simply the desire to create something no one else no one else ever would or should, but the two things coalesced in my mind immediately. I got the words out on paper before the idea receded into the abyss where it belonged, and I thought I'd subject you to them in hopes that someone else would get a kick out of it. So without further ado or apology, I give you the lyrics to Comic Shop, which goes to the music of Thrift Shop, and he wrote an entire like parody version of the thong, song Thrift Shop, and... I think we're gonna we're gonna post it for people to read. I'm not gonna read it out on the show. Well, sing it. No, I'm. Is thrift shop that new like the guy shopping at the thrift shop. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm okay. gonna pop some tags. I got twenty dollars in my pocket. At this point, you might as well just. No, it's literally like a three minute long like thing. <laughs> Come on, Bobby. Uh, it's a ama- It's it's amazing. Stephanie can attest to it. She saw it. Um, it seriously made my day. I was having such a shit afternoon, and like literally, as like this shit started piling on me. I got that email, I read it, and I was just, like, smiling. It put the biggest smile on my face. So thank you so much. It yeah. was, like, the it was the thing I needed on the day you sent it. It was, like, the best. I'm, like, feeling, like, emotional right now about it. I'm, like, <laughs> you made my day better. <laughs> but it's uh, seriously true. It's so great. Yeah, it, it's great. We're, we'll post it up uh, for everybody to read. And I put out to any of our listeners, if any of you uh, are producers of rap songs or – Record, maybe to record rap songs, you know, I uh, we would love to hear somebody do it. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and we'll play it on the show. Obviously, we'll we'll, we'll pimp, pimp you out. So if you guys want to send that into us, info at talkingcomicbooks dot com. Uh, we would that would be amazing. Um, <laughs> and we, uh, you know, we, maybe we even sh- do a music video. I was just thinking uh, <laughs> if we get if we get a really good one. So uh, that's that's your guys' impetus to do it. Um, but yeah, please, if you if nothing else, read it because it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and somebody, he took a lot of time to do it and it, it's, it's really flattering that someone would do that based on us. So thank you very much, uh, to Andy. Uh, so that's it for listener feedback. Uh, let's move on to what's on the shelves right now. Uh, from boom studios, we have adventure time with Fiona and cake. Number four, Yay. uh, aliens versus Parker. Number two, bravest warriors. Number seven and Garfield. Number 12 and grace Randolph's superbia. Number six. Uh, the Aliens versus Parker, by the way, um, it's by some people will know from like the geek community. It's Paul Shear's book. Oh yeah, yes. So, in case you are wondering, just randomly, you're welcome. <laughs> Carry on. Um, Dark Horse Comics, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season nine, number twenty. Um, we've got uh, the hardcover of Mind Management, uh, Sledgehammer forty four, number two, Star Wars number four, and X number zero. Uh, from DC Comics, we have uh, Batgirl number 19, yeah. Batman number 19, yes. Batman and Red Robin number 19, yes. uh, Batman Arkham Unhinged number 13, uh, Batman Little Gotham number 1, Hurrah. Um, Constantine number 2, Deathstroke number 19, Demon Knights number 19, uh, Django Unchained number 3 of 6, Green Lantern Corps number 19, um, Ravagers number eleven. Uh, we've got Saucer Country number fourteen, which is the final issue. Um, Suicide Squad number nineteen. Uh, Team Seven number seven. Threshold number four, uh, and that is it for DC. 
Mm. Um, from Dynamite, we have Garth Ennis' Jennifer Blood, number 25. Green Hornet, number 34, uh, which is not the Mark Wade book. Um, uh, Lord of the Jungle, number 14. Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt, number 8. Shadow, number 11. Um, Vampirella, number 28. Vampirella Strikes, number 4. And Warlord of Mars, Dejah Thoris, number 24. Um, IDW, we've got Colonized, number 1. We've got Doctor Who, Prisoners of Time. Uh, sorry, I thought number 4 was coming out, but I'm wrong. That's a, that's a reprint of number 3. Um, Dungeons & Dragons, Forgotten Realms, Cutter, number 1. Uh, G.I. Joe, The Cobra Files, number 1. We've got Kiss Solo, number 1. Mars Ooh. Attacks, number 9. Rocketeer Hollywood Horror, number three. Star Trek Countdown to Darkness, number four. Um, <clears throat> Teenage Ninja Turtles Color Classics Leonardo Micro Series, one shot. Uh, we've got Transformers Regeneration 1, number 90. True Blood, number 11. Um, it's, uh, and uh, that's it for IDW. Uh, from Image Comics, we have Invincible Universe, number one. Uh, Point of Impact, Trade Paperback, Saga, number 12, Sex, number 2, and Walking Dead, number 109. From Marvel Comics, we have Age of Ultron, number 5. We have Alpha Big Time, number 3 of 5. Avengers, number 9. Avengers Arena, number 7. Avengers Assemble, number 14 AU. (laughs) Uh, Avenging Spider-Man, number 19, which we should mention the title is changing uh, to Superior Spider-Man Team-Up. It's the same book, same numbering. Just changing uh, the title. <clears throat> um, we've got Fantastic Four, number six. Yes. Uh, we've got Fearless Defenders, number three. You're we've uh, got Hawkeye, number nine. Yes. Um, we've got Secret Avengers, number three. Secret Service, number three. Thor, God of Thunder, number seven. Yeah. Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates, number 23. Ultron, number one, AU. Uncanny Avengers, number six. Um We've got Uncanny X-Men number four, Wolverine number two, and Extreme X-Men number 13, which is the final issue of that book. Um, From Valiant, we have Archer and Armstrong number nine, uh, Harbinger number 11. And from Xenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales presents Madness of Wonderland number three, and Grim Fairy Tales presents Wonderland number 10. So that is what's on comic book shelves uh, right now. if you guys want to get in touch with us, it's info at talkingcomicbooks.com, at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and of course, the website, talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, comment on, on the stories, check them out. Uh, you know, it's kind of developing a cool community there, a lot of people talking back and forth. Um, did include, we, tr- we tried to include it in the show, we didn't get included this, uh, this week because we were kind of packed with stuff, but um, in the future, we'll definitely be including comments uh, for that. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? I'm Hello Cookie. Uh, Bob? And Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And you can now get a hold of uh, our newest batch of contributors that weren't on the About Us page before. We've updated that now. Nice. So if you have any interest in learning more about the people who write the awesome content that you get to read every week, um, make sure to check out the About Us page and follow them on Twitter, Facebook, send them an email um, all the links they want you to have are provided, so make sure you check them out and tell them how much you love what they do. Yeah, abs- a- absolutely. Um, 
Uh, and thank you again this week. Uh, our news team uh, kicked ass, and I want to thank them uh, big time because a lot of a lot of content on the site on days where there aren't, aren't reviews, and it's 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 been fantastic. Um, so that's it for uh, talking comics uh, for this week. For Steve, be good, Bob, Sayonara, and Stephanie. Yay! I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs> <laughs>